With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode 42, and a great episode it is. Let's roll. And uh, it is it is definitely Scott Fishbowl season. Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, you guys uh, heard me say that we would be giving away a spot to the Scott Fishbowl, and we, and we did so. I would, honestly, I wish we could give away a lot of them. Scott must have a, a tough time. Uh, turning people away because it's a lot of fun uh, making someone's dream come true a little bit. I mean, it's a lot of fun to to play against the big dogs. We got a big dog on the show today too, for sure. Uh, but let me at least announce the winner to the uh, to the contest we did. Uh, I mean, I didn't know I had listeners all over the world, but we picked someone from Belgium. I can't even find Belgium on a map. You guys know that I'm a complete idiot. But I picked Dirk Vandenberg. At Dirk Vandenberg on Twitter, look him up, man. This dude is uh, is excited to be there. We're excited to share it with him. We also, as a group, got uh, Max in the in the show as well as a couple others. We're really excited. You guys got to be excited for Scott Fishbowl. It's a lot of fun. I know a lot of you are in. For those of you who aren't, uh, it's kind of fun to watch it all happen. There's satellites, so a lot of ways to get involved. Scott Fish does a lot of great work, and you know, really brings the community together. Uh, even if you don't get in the satellite and you don't get in the Scott Fishbowl, you should get in the spirit, which is it's a it's a charity event. So, you know, we, we all decide to 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 donate money to a cause. Uh, if you can't think of one, uh, Fantasy Cares is the way to go. I mean, they they donate uh, for t- uh, toys for tots and make a lot of Christmas dreams come true for a lot of children who are going without. So, you know, no, no better thing to be doing than that. So go get involved. Go make it happen. Pay attention to Scott Fishbowl. Hit up Scott Fish. Tell him thank you for what he does because it's really cool. And uh, my guest today is is in the Scott Fishbowl. Of course he is. He's uh, he's kind of a stud in the space here, man. I, I he also, I mean, when you talk about all star names, there is no better name than Mister Hayden Winks. Hayden Winks, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's not too many other Hayden Winkses out there. Uh, I don't even know if there's too many other Winkses out there that I don't even know about in my own family. So yeah, I got lucky with the names. <laughs> Very Hollywood name for me. I uh, can't complain there. 
that's that's why I went with Jax Falcone. I mean, come on, you know. I mean, I needed to hold up to Hayden Winks, and even still, even with my made-up bullshit name, I can't hold up to the real name of Hayden Winks. He's absolute all-star. I'll get like when I am at a restaurant, like the the waitress will see my name, like they'll she'll sign the the receipt and put like a winky face oh, and stuff. It's the whole thing. Yeah. Oh my god. The chicks. I love mean, it. young, beautiful Southern California kid with the name Winks. I mean. Yeah, unbelievable. Just winning the gene pool over here. Absolutely, absolutely crushing it. Uh, gotta love, gotta love Hayden Wakes. But he he's awesome. He you know he does a great job. He's working for Underdog. We have partnered with Underdog over at over at the Undroppables. We're so happy to have him on the show. But we're happy to have Underdog as a partner. Um, we're happy to uh, promote what they're doing. I, I love Best Ball. I think they're doing a, a, a great job of it. Tell the folks a little bit about uh, what what you've got going on at Underdog because the thing I also like is you guys have some content you know it's not just a platform there's a little bit more going on and and uh tell tell the folks what's up so best ball is great because it's the least time consuming fantasy way and it's a good way to get shares of players that you otherwise wouldn't get because yeah. you can like not like somebody in for dynasty but like still like the player for redraft and best ball is the best way to do that all you have to do is draft there's no ads there's no drops there's no bad trade offers i know we're all sick and tired of the bad trade offers <laughs> there's no forgetting to set your lineups all you got to do, 18 rounds, uh, and I think Underdog Fantasy is the best place to do that. And I think another thing that's kind of going overlooked at Underdog, uh, yes, we have the content, but we also have a rookies and sophomores only best ball tournament right now. So I know the, a lot of the Dynasty people are grinding about like the deep, deep sleepers, the deep sophomores, the guys that like Nico Collins. These guys are being drafted in this rookies and sophomores tournament. So I think it's a good way. I know you guys are all invested into Dynasty. I think this is a good way to throw in a couple extra uh, drafts because it's just not going to make your Tuesday nights any more hardcore than it already is. Yeah, I said it last week. I'm always in a draft because I'll just always put – I think it's a $3, $5, whichever yep. one it is, a slow draft, 12-man. Like, I think I'm in the slowest of all slow ones this time. It's like sometimes it's just really bad. Sometimes it's really good. But either way, if you sign up for a slow draft, you can't complain. You just got to – when it's your turn – Look at your damn phone and make a pick. But um, you know, so I'm, I'm literally, I'm literally on a loop in an underdog slow draft at all times, 100 percent of my life. So that just tells you, I, I, you know, I'm I'm a company man. Yeah, that's the way to do it. I mean, you can do a fast drive, fast draft in like 45 minutes. That's yep. about how long it takes. Or you can do a lot of slow drafts in a row. So um, that's the good thing, and you can do drafts. Right now, the lobby fills up pretty quickly, and it's only in May and June when we're starting to do this stuff. So it's another good yeah. way to get some exposure right before the draft. Like I'm looking back at my teams right before the draft. Like Trey Sermon was like going 189th overall. Whew. So that's a good thing to remember for next year. If you're grinding the dynasty streets and you think that you have an edge, we have tournaments ready to go right after the uh, the NFL playoffs when we don't know landing spots. So if you think that you're better than the rest of us at Finding landing spots, who's going to break out uh, in the post-draft rankings, I think it's another great way to do it. So I think it's ultimately, it's a great platform if you like drafting. I think it's a great platform as a complement to Dynasty. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, because, um, yeah, yeah being, or being early on that stuff is like, if you kind of know who who's going to be good and all that sort of stuff, I, I totally agree. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, if you got an hour of free time, you can do a fast draft, half hour, hour, whatever. I mean, you got to basically block off an hour but you know before bed you're chilling it's really a lot of fun just you know hammer out a draft you also have the best ball mania tournament which i think a million dollars goes to first is that right hayden yep 3.5 million dollar tournament 25 dollars to enter 
First place gets a million and one dollar. It's the biggest uh, cash prize there is on the internet right now. So that's a good way if you want to do a bunch of drafts, get some exposure into Best Ball Mania too. But even if you don't want to do uh, the $25 entry, like you said, $3 drafts, $5 drafts. We have like four person drafts. So I think it's, a, it's another good way to get prepared for your like high school or college friends league, right? Like yeah. a week or two before you go against those knuckleheads, get into the paid draft. And you can get a good feel for where players are supposed to be going. I think you'll have a good leg up over your friends. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and I love it. So uh, I was, yeah, I was in, I was drafting on another platform last year and before the NFL draft, they didn't have the potential rookies in the player pool. So it was kind of, I, I didn't that really stinks. like that, but you're, yeah, you're right. With with underdog before the draft, at least the c- incoming rookies were in the player pool, so you could really, especially us dynasty guys, can really reap reward and advantage there. Just kind of knowing, you know, who's that, who those guys are, and obviously you don't know landing spot and stuff like that, but you kind of know. Um, you know, I, I knew CD Lamb was going to be good. You know, it was like three years three years ago. You know, so um, but I don't think they the, the, the listeners are here trying to. Hear us talk too much about uh, best ball, though we uh, we will be talking a little bit about best ball. But I kind of wanted to pick your brain because I think one of the things that you do really well is you know we do call them Silva leaves, not tea leaves here. Uh, an, an homage to Evan Silva, who always reads the tea leaves the best. But I think you I think you read those Silva leaves pretty well and understand the comings and goings, and you kind of put the uh, pieces of the puzzle together to paint you a better picture than most. Uh, uh, shameless compliment there so take it as it as it is but um you know and I want to talk about some of these teams that you know we're a little uncertain about and there can there's still a lot of value to be either won or lost if you're right or wrong in these in these teams and I want to start right off at the top with the New York Jets uh the New York Jets um first of all we don't even know if they're going to be good you know generally speaking when we want to target players uh, in redraft or dynasty or even best ball, you kind of want players who are on a good team. You know, Dallas, uh, you know, they're going to score a lot. You want those players because they're going to have a lot of opportunity. Not even sure what's going to happen it, it, with the Jets. It kind of starts at that quarterback position with Zach Wilson. Um, so let's kind of start there with with, with, uh, with the Jets and Zach Wilson. And, you know, what are your thoughts about whether or not this kid's going to hit and uh, and what you're seeing there? So the Jets, I think, are probably the most complicated team to break down. you got new coaching staff. You've got new players at running back, at wide receiver. And then even the quarterback that they drafted was a a one-year wonder at a smaller school who was basically playing all these really small, like, Sam Houston states. So uh, there's a lot to kind of break down. I thought that Zach Wilson had plenty of arm. I was kind of worried about his size. He's, like, kind of athletic, but I don't think that he's, like, some crazy athlete. And the biggest thing that was just so complicated with Zach Wilson was he was never under pressure. That BYU offensive line was absolutely insane. And his his wide receivers, like none of them are like NFL dudes, but there was a lot of plays where those guys were like mossing these poor corners at these small universities. So there's a lot of moving parts um, with the Jets. And I think that like nothing more complicated than their, their wide receiver group right now. You're talking about like the Silva tea leaves, like, trying to figure out if Elijah Moore is going to play on the outside, if Keelan Cole, who they gave $5 million to, guaranteed, if he's going to be in the starting lineup. Jamison Crowder is trying to cash in free agency next year, so he's probably going to be in the starting lineup, but he had to take a pay cut, and obviously they signed Corey Davis, So uh, and they have Denzel Mims. Like it can't be more complicated than the Jets, but I think that 
um, there is a path for some upside because I think a lot, like a lot of times in fantasy is uncertainty drops ADPs probably further than expected. So if you can figure this out, there's probably a little value to be had, but I'm not going to be too confident in my projections for any of these guys. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, Zach Wilson, tremendous offensive line, never saw pressure, faced one of the easiest schedules in like, honestly, ever. Um, yep. Like, you know, like really, really easy schedule. Um, you know, his weapons, as you point out, weren't amazing. But and then you, you go to the positives. He's got a really electric arm, you know, a, a, you know, really, really uh, good throw velocity can can reach the outside quadrants of the field, you know, with velocity, you know, doesn't lollipop it out there, gets it out there with pace. Those are the positives, you know, um, <clears throat> the negatives is, you know, kind of the way they had him read. Um, you know, it doesn't say whether he can or can't read as an NFL player, but he didn't have to really, you know, they, they kind of ran a, a, a different type of offense where it was kind of read for him and he was just one or two basically. And, you know, so all those things are concerns, um, you know, and so now he's in New York where there's a lot of uncertainty. I don't know, man, I, there's a lot of bus risk with this guy, but you know, if he hits, I mean, he certainly is is uh, has the arm strength to hit the outside with Corey Davis, uh, Denzel Mims. I think Elijah Moore is a stud. He keeps moving up and up and up in my rankings and in my mind and in what I think is going to happen. So I think Elijah Moore is the absolute truth. I think he's going to be a, a, a really, really solid long-term NFL player. Whether or not he's a wide receiver one or not, I'm not sure. You know, eventually, obviously not this year probably, but – um, but I mean, just going forward, does he does he sort of hit that Stefan Diggs ceiling or, you know, somewhere further down below? But he's he's knocking on that door for me. The, the real thing that 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 ah, man last year, I was a huge Denzel Mims fan, um, you know, higher than consensus. But the Jets replaced their front office and coaching staff. They well, not their front, but, you know, basically replaced the whole, you know, the whole crew there and. They, they have no love for Mims. And if you went to before free agency and before the draft, it looked like Denzel Mims was going to have just this huge uh, target share. But, you know, you got to you got to listen to the teams when they use their money and their assets. And first of all, they gave Corey Davis, who plays a similar role in position. Certainly an outside X is just about what they both do. Uh, you could argue Mims could slide to Z and, you know, play with Davis. But they spent a lot of money on Corey Davis. They spent $5 million on Keelan Cole. Then they spent another uh, second-round pick on Elijah Moore. And then the Crowder situation. You said it. First of all, I don't understand. I'm going to say it quick. I don't understand why Crowder didn't just tell them to fuck themselves and yeah. let – you know, right, and just let the market pick him because now he's sort of fighting in this crowded situation for a reduced amount of money. Hayden, do you know if he signed uh, – he only signed – he restructured just for one year, so he's a free agent. You mentioned that. I mean, couldn't he have just seen if – Kansas City or Green Bay would have paid him a little bit more, and he could have just been like, you know, just killing it there. Uh, that that I didn't like, but uh, but then he did do that. So now you have all of those things conspiring against my boy Denzel Mims, and I am brutally scared. And now they're coming out and saying he's not running with the ones. Uh, boy, oh boy, not not good for Denzel, eh? Yeah, so going with Jameson Crowder first, I really do not understand this. I would take less money, say it's $3 million, go sign with the Falcons. You at least yeah. know you're the number two. You're going to put up yeah. all these numbers, and then when the cap is going up next year and teams actually have some money, that's when you can cash in. I think this was a poor decision for Jameson Crowder, but I do think that he was promised 
a starting role. And that's my kind of reading through everything is he wouldn't have re-signed and took this pay cut unless he was promised from the coaching staff that he would be in the starting lineup. So for that, because we all know James Crowder is only a slot guy. Correct. And we know that Corey Davis is going to be on the field no matter what in every situation, 12 personnel, 11 personnel, whatever, he's on there. Correct. I think that Elijah Moore is going to be on the field because he's an absolute baller and they just use a second round pick on him. So I think what's going to happen is going to be Corey Davis at X, Elijah Moore going to play Z, even though he didn't yep. play that in college. Yep. And then Jamison Crowder is going to be in the slot. And then you're going to see Denzel Mims and Keelan Cole kind of rotate in. That's not pretty for fantasy. I think that it's clearly Corey Davis and Elijah Moore for best ball. The rest of those guys, I would probably roll the dice on Jamison Crowder and Denzel Mims next. Um, but for Denzel Mims, I just watched <laughs> all of his targets. And it's unfortunate. Like He's clearly needs to develop. And I thought that he was pretty slow out of his breaks. And that was kind of concerning. But he has a skill that nobody else on this Jets depth chart has. And that's the, the jump ball stuff. I think uh, he can be a red zone guy. I think if it's third and eight and you just need a fade route from the outside, it's Denzel Mims. And no nobody else on this depth chart kind of has that role. So that's the only positive I can say about Denzel Mims right now is at least he's built different than everybody else. But I would guess that he's probably going to play 30% of the, the routes. And the Jets are already a team just because it's a Shanahan offense that was probably going to be bottom five, bottom ten and wide receiver routes run over the entire course of the season because they're going to be decently run heavy. They're going to use 12 personnel a little bit. Uh, they might get a fullback involved. So um, it's not a good situation. And that's not even factoring in what if Zach Wilson struggles as a rookie. Yeah, that, that you nailed it. I agree. And and it hurts me to agree, but here we are. And, and um, you know, obviously injuries or other situations can change this. You know, but I, I think at the moment I am very, very nervous about uh, the, the Denzel Mims future. You'd mentioned uh, them playing 12 personnel, and I, I, I didn't put it on, on the notes I shared with you, but the tight end position, I mean, if you want to go with another question mark on this, on this roster, it's like, what the hell? I mean, you know, Chris Herndon is a myth, you know, uh, does he even exist? Is he a real person? You know, what, what the hell's the, the tight end depth chart you think look like? I have no idea. They're not going to throw the tight end very often. They don't have a George Kittle, so it's like I'm not. I'm not trying to buy in on Chris Herndon. Like, give me well, a break. Like, it's yeah, clearly, it's clearly to me, Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. I think both players are really good. I think Corey Davis is going to do a lot of the dirty work. That's what he did with the Titans, and he's like more of a team first guy. And Elijah Moore, like 96 percentile prospect in my model, and backed up every single bit of that on tape. He's so explosive. He's so elusive. And I think a lot of that stuff that you see with like Debo Samuel, uh, mm. these schemes touches underneath screens, like that's what Shanahan is so good at. You're going to see Elijah Moore in that role. And then I think Elijah Moore, like you said, Stefan Diggs is kind of a decent comparison, I think could win on the perimeter downfield. And that's not something that he necessarily did at Ole Miss, but you can kind of see how easy that can translate, especially when you're talking about an early declare from the SEC. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Elijah Moore, arrow up. Denzel Mim, arrow down. The backfield. Everybody wants to just say it's going to be Michael Carter. It's fun. It's way better. We all want Michael Carter. But they did bring in the ghost of Tevin Coleman. Uh, Tevin Coleman is a quote-unquote scheme fit here. Um, 
I mean, I guess LaMichael P. Ryan still is alive. What, what's going to happen here? I mean, it, it, do we get the clear runway from Michael Carter or does Tevin Coleman mess that up until he gets hurt in week eight? So I think Michael Carter is a lock to be the third down back at least. That's what he was at North Carolina, and that's his best skill set. And that's why he probably dropped in the draft is because that is his best skill set. And that's kind of a replaceable skill set if you're talking about running backs. The thing is, I thought my tape evaluation on Michael Carter was like, this dude could actually run between the tackles a little bit. He's got nice vision. He's got nice bursts. And he was like a real explosive home run threat. And that's kind of what this offense is kind of uh, built upon is just one cut and go. And Michael Carter can do that. The thing I keep going back to, though, is he's really tiny. And when you were kind of pigeonholed into your college offense as like a third down change of pace back, it's kind of hard for me to say at the next level he's going to be more than that. So my concern with Michael Carter, and I'm a little lower on him in best ball rankings right now, is I think he's going to have a role. I don't see him having a three down role. I think that he could be pretty dang good for the Jets on like 10 carries. But I don't see him being like 15 to 20 carries plus the third third down uh, role. I think he's probably going to be eight carries, all the third down work. And then you're going to see Tevin Coleman, LaMichael P. Ride, whoever wins that battle. Um, but then we keep going back to the, how often are the Jets going to be in leads, all this type of stuff. Then you look at the division, like Sean McDermott, Bill Belichick, Brian Flores. Like that's not very fun. So um, I think Michael Carter, he's somebody that I was high on as a prospect or like relatively high on as a prospect. But – I'm not sure how much like bell cow upside he has. And when you pair that with a below average offense, it's like hard for me to get too excited as a rookie. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah. I mean, the old, the old, uh, the old saying is, you know, draft running backs on good teams. There is very little evidence that this is going to be a good team. So I think it's probably wise to kind of fade and take a cheap, cheap stab if there is one, but I wouldn't be, overpaying for Michael Carter in his rookie year. Certainly it's possible he, you know, James Robinson's, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on that at all and I I don't think he's a value at his current cost. I do think Tevin Coleman's probably a value at his cost cuz he's, you know, nearly free 99. So, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, Tevin Coleman swings are probably a little bit more sensible as especially early in the season he could come out and you know sort of be that guy's a veteran he's really the only veteran on the roster so it could be sort of Tevin Coleman is the week one starter and the week one you know 60 70 percent uh you know snap share guy and everybody is surprised and they shouldn't be and then he probably loses the grip on that job but early on it could be Tevin Coleman I I think that's probably the most reasonable thing I could imagine and I I will say I'm coming through the underdog fantasy perspective which is half PPR so and that's something I kind of really have had to adjust like when I was at Roto World it was like everything to me was PPR focused and like since I've been doing my rankings I always kind of have to readjust like okay there's different types of running backs based on your format. So I'm a little lower on Michael Carter and half PPR, but I can see how he can have like flex value as a rookie in full PPR. Just kind of, you have to know your format, of course. Yeah. I love half PPR. I'm a big half PPR guy. Uh, I've been playing half PPR for as long as I, I can. All, all the leagues I, uh, I commish are all half PPR. If I do add anything to that, it's usually half PPR plus first down which I think is fun, which is kind of what Scott Fish is doing, Scott Fish Bowl. Yeah. It's, it's, to me, it's the most fun because then, you know, I always I always joked, you know, my brother and I would always talk about it. It was like, you know, third and 14 and a guy, you know, runs for 10 yards. Is that really a, you know, or a guy catches a, you know, five-yard swing pass dump off. Like, 
you know, versus a guy who gets a third and one first down run for two yards. That's way more important. Way more valuable, you know, and that guy is just leveraging such a big opportunity in the game and et cetera, et cetera. So I think the first down offsets that a little bit and adds value because moving the chains is a, is a huge value in the, in the game. So to me, just giving a PPR point versus, you know, adding just a half plus that first down to me is just so much more, you know, entertaining and rewards the better players. Let's just face it, you know, um, but, uh, but moving on, you know, I think the whole AFC East we could do, and we're going to touch on a couple of teams here, but the next one is my New England Patriots. And, um, you know, I guess we'll start it this way. You know, Cam Newton and Mac Jones are certainly the talk of the town. And, you know, I think if, uh, you know, if you were to ask everybody in Boston, they'd probably have mostly, most of them would probably want Mac Jones just because we've seen the Cam Newton movie and it didn't end well. So, but he had COVID. He, he, um, He's a former MVP. I mean, he's he's got something. Uh, you know, they are playing a different style there. They've got a lot of big bodies. They've got the two tight ends. Uh, you know, they're going to run downhill. They're going to the, the, the team is sort of built in a Cam Newton image. Um, and so, I guess my question to you is, I get you know, how many starts does each guy make this year, and how quickly does Mac Jones start, if at all? So I think you hit on the the biggest point is people are underestimating just how good this Patriots offensive line is. Like this is going to be like a top five offensive line. And I think they're going to be able to run over people consistently, whether that's with Cam Newton or with Mac Jones. I just did a tape evaluation on Jacoby Myers. I watched all of his targets. And one of my takeaways from that is just how sporadic Cam Newton was as a passer. And obviously if you watched Cam Newton last year, he just didn't look like himself. And obviously this comes when you have these massive shoulder injuries and that's just kind of hard to come back from. So I wouldn't be surprised if Belichick gives Cam Newton the veteran nod. I think that Cam Newton is very well respected in the locker room. And I think specifically from Bill Belichick. So I wouldn't be surprised if Cam Newton gets like the week one start, but I'm fully projecting uh, Mac Jones to start more games. And I know a lot of people were really down on Mac Jones as a prospect, I was higher on him than than most. I think that just he's so poised and he throws an accurate ball. Uh, arm strength could tend to be overrated, especially when you're going to be in this offense, 12 personnel. There's not going to be too many times where he has to hit a 19-yard uh, just corner route. Like That's just like not right. going to be something that's going to – if he can hit a seam pass, he'll be okay in this offense. And I think that Bill Belichick is going to take advantage of Mac Jones and just how poised he is in the pocket – and you're, it's not going to be a super voluminous passing offense, but I think that in this offense, I think Cam Newton can work as like the goal line bruiser and like be that run first team, or you can see a very balanced attack, let Damian Harris run wild. Um, but I think just overall big picture, the Patriots are going to be able to run the ball really well. I would say maybe like 80% of the uh, Cleveland Browns last year where yes. 12 personnel run it yep. down your throat. The difference is they don't have Nick Chubb. No. They have Damian Harris. No, they do not have Nick Chubb, and that is absolutely a, a problem. But you're 100 percent right. I, I, I uh, when I talked with Evan Silva, I said, you know, New England was trying to win a rock fight last year, but they were trying to win a rock fight with a bad defense. You yes. know, I think they upgraded their defense. You know, Barmore is an addition. Judon, I mean, the Hightower coming back. I mean, they're going to be better up front. You know, and and they were getting, they were trying to uh, Vanoy. They were trying to win a rock fight. 
but they they were just getting beat up on the other side. Like offensively, they were kind of winning that fight, but defensively, they just couldn't stand up. Their secondary was good, but they couldn't get any pressure on the quarterback, and they 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 just couldn't stop anybody. Um, so I think that helps them, you know, defensively now to play that style. Their sort of defense matches the offense. Obviously, health is always a question, but should they stay healthy? I totally agree. Also, I think um, Bill Belichick has never been known to go to a young rookie quarterback over an established veteran. He's never done that before. Wait, wait, but th- I'm getting. I I hear he's done it once before. He might do it, right? I mean, this would totally fit into his you know mo where Mac Jones just comes in in week three or four, and you know the rest is quote unquote history. Yeah. I think so. And I think that Mac, uh, I mean, Bill Belichick has the closest relationship with Nick Saban of any person in the NFL. And like, obviously Nick Saban said a bunch of positive things about Mac Jones. And if you listen to any Alabama uh, interview from the the prospects this year, they all talked super positively about Mac Jones. So I think that the, the biggest thing was the arm strength question and the athleticism question. But I think that in this offense, you can kind of hide this, um, I don't think that he's Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has a better arm, but yeah. you don't see Baker Mayfield running and scrambling for his life and running for first downs. Like how often do you see Baker Mayfield throwing the ball 70 yards downfield in this type of offense? You don't really have to do that. A couple play action passes hit an, uh, a 12 yard crossing route and you're good. And I think that Mac Jones reaches that baseline. So I think that he's a, a basically an ideal fit for this version of the Patriots. And we haven't seen this version of the Patriots in a little while, but I, I I do love it. It'll be fun to watch because it's like there's only a couple teams that are built like this. Um, yeah. So you see all these spread eleven personnel, and then you have the Patriots who are gonna play defense and run 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 right over you. So that's gonna be uh, pretty fun to watch. Yeah, they might lead the league in twelve personnel. Obviously, I mean they invested heavily in two tight ends in the off season, so you would think that those two guys will be on the field. Janu is gonna be that sort of. Uh, I think he's gonna be a little bit of a. Yeah, I think Hunter Henry's going to play tight end in line. I mean, mostly. Yep. I mean, obviously, you can move him a little bit, but I think John is going to be all over the field. I think you know McDaniel's and Belichick are going to have a lot of fun using him as sort of that chess piece um, because he can play all over the place. He's such an athlete; he could line up at running back if he wanted to. I mean, I don't know how often, if at all, they'll do that, but like he's that good. Where you know Cam could play RPO with 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 Janu. It literally could happen. Um, you know, they can give him those little jet sweeps and things like that. I think, I think John is an interesting player in this offense, but I think they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel, which if we then move to the wide receiver position, someone's going to be outside on the outside looking in Nelson Aguilar just signed a contract. Jacoby Myers is better than Mr. Nikhil Harry. It's just a fact. And so now we have to look at Nikhil Harry as being on the outside looking in. He's going to sort of suffer the same fate as Denzel Mims. So these two guys could both be sort of quote unquote bustalicious going forward in, in Dynasty. Um, Nikhil already seems like that. I mean, I just don't I don't see very much of a future for him, especially in New England. He's going to have to maybe find a different system. Uh, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, so a couple things. Johnny Smith, I haven't ranked as my tight end 11 this year. He's going as tight end 17. I'm right there with you. I think he's going to play in the slot a little bit. I think they're going to move him around. I think that Hunter Henry is going to be more that traditional tight end. I think both are going to be useful. And then moving to the receivers, how I view it, it's uh, they gave Nelson Aguilar all this money, probably too much money. He's going to be the vertical threat, just like how he was with the Raiders, which is kind of a similar-ish offense to what the Patriots are going to use. Be the downfield threat. And I just watched Jacoby Myers. I think Jacoby Myers could actually play. 
This guy was like top eight in yards per route run versus man coverage. And that's pretty impressive to do as somebody that's a below average athlete, an undrafted free agent. But Bill Belichick loves this dude. He is awesome. He's very smart. I think he's going to be on the same page with Mac Jones. So I think in 12 personnel, it's going to be Nelson Aguilar and Jacoby Myers. And in 11 personnel, I think probably Kendrick Bourne slides in there. Maybe you'll get Nikhil Harry. I I don't think it's a lock that Nikhil Harry even makes this roster. Um, That's really rare to do this early on in the the rookie contract, but um, their actions match the tape. They don't want anything to do with Nikhil Harry. That's like very obvious. Very obvious. And, and, and it makes sense. I mean, and you're right. I mean, if you start looking at that depth chart, the other guy that might not make the roster is Sony Michelle. I think Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson and James White are, are kind of all locks to make the roster. Yep. And you know, who else is a lock to make that roster is Brandon Bolden who plays special teams. So I think when you look at those four backs, unless they carry a fifth back, and even if so, I think they'd rather maybe a J.J. Taylor to back up James White as opposed to Sony Michelle, who really is not good. So I think Sony Michelle probably gets gets cut as well. And imagine if the Patriots cut both Sony Michelle and Nikhil Harry in the same offseason, uh, two first-round picks, and it just is really comical almost. I mean, it really is. It's just unbelievable. But Nikhil Harry, you look at that depth chart, you're right. Bourne, Aguilar, and Myers are kind of locks. And then, you know, of course, Matthew Slater's making it again because of, of um, uh, special teams. So then you have Gunner. Gunner's a special team guy. He's probably yep. making it. Okay, so maybe there's one more spot. And you know what? He probably does make it over all the other, you know, no names that are there. I mean, I don't think Trey Nixon makes it over him. I just think they're going to keep him as that last one. So I do think yep. Nikhil Harry will survive. I think. Sony Michelle won't, but surviving may not even be his best outcome. He almost would rather get cut and see if he can find somewhere else. I think they're still actively trying to trade him, but who the hell wants that? Yeah, exactly. I think it's a good point as people overlook special teams. Special team doesn't matter for fantasy, but when you're trying to uh, predict depth charts, it's exactly like you said. Sony Michelle doesn't play special teams. Brandon Bolden does. That's the difference. So unless the Patriots are going to uh, keep Sony Michelle, but that's, that to me is like makes no sense. Uh, Damian Harris could do a pretty good Sony Michelle impression and Ramondre Stevenson can do a great uh, Sony Michelle impression. So I don't see the point. Uh, maybe like Sony Michelle like lands with the Dolphins and then like he competes for that goal line role and ends up being okay. But I'm with you. I think Damian Harris is somebody that Josh Norris and I on our, our podcast talk pre- pretty highly about because we think the offensive line is good. We think that Sony Michelle is going to be cut. And I think that Damian Harris He's not an explosive player, but he can play on three downs if you want to. He seems like a very classic Bill Belichick dude. Obviously, the Alabama connection. He seems like a very smart player, and I think that he could have 10-plus touchdowns this year. The one thing is you have to get Mac Jones into the starting lineup because if Cam Newton's starting, then he's getting all that goal line work. So that's the one concern, but I think that Damian Harris has like some top 20, top 24 running back upside, especially – in half PPR, which is uh, what I'm used to right now. Absolutely. And and I'm just looking at ADP right now on – I'm looking at underdog because it's you know as, about as up-to-date as possible because there's so many drafts going off. And he's going off at like a RB32, Damian Harris is. Uh, I've, been, I've been definitely happy to draft Damian Harris, and I've been even more pleased to draft Ramondre Stevenson because he is like – He's free. Running back, yeah, running back fifty or six. I mean, yeah, yeah. He's just pick two hundred right now. I mean, you know, so I don't even know what running back that is. I mean, he's 
right now, Ramondre Stevenson is going behind Chuba Hubbard and Giovanni Bernard. And I don't know, like I'm just Rashad Penny. I just think he has a more clear path to touches. He really just has to be better than Damian Harris. And I'm not saying that's probable. I'm saying it's just more possible than Chuba Hubbard playing over CMC. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, uh, if, if you're going to ask which of those two guys is better, I don't know. You can have that discussion. But which of those two guys has a clearer path to RB1 touches? It's Ramondre, no doubt about it. Um, it doesn't mean it will happen. It just means it has a shot. Yep, and like like you guys said, it's just like the goal line role and Ramondre Stevenson with that offensive line, Like you're going to yeah. be converting a lot of touchdowns with that uh, combination. So. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, if you've only drafted three or four running backs and it's the last round on underdog, I'm I'm totally okay with that pick. Yes, absolutely. And let's go to everybody's favorite team in the entire universe, and that's the Buffalo Bills. We'll just we'll close out the uh the AFC East here. Buffalo, look, my 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 question here in Buffalo is is, you know, I man, I was listening to you and Josh Norris and and you guys were and when I say fading, I just mean off of quarterback two you were fading Josh Allen to like quarterback four or five which by the way is not fading at all it's just versus ADP if he's if he's quarterback two that means you might not get him very often so but I agree with it by the way Dak is my my quarterback two um so you know I think I'd probably even take Lamar over Josh Allen it's close I love Josh Allen I think he's great but I just sort of put him in that group of Kyler you know Lamar um you know Dak, he's in there. He's not above it. Um, he had a real outlierish season, and you pointed out the thing that I really liked, which is you said that he's had like eight or nine rushing touchdowns in three straight years. Now, it could be what he is, right? That's that's definitely possible. I, I'm with you. You said that, but it is also a regressible. That's not even a word, but y'all know what I meant. Uh, factor, and it could come down to four, five, six, seven. I mean, it just could come down. Insofar as it does, those rushing touchdowns then go to one of those running backs. Do you do you find any value in either of these guys, or do you think it's just still a, a 50-50 mess that you don't want to touch with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary? So, first of all, I love regressible. That's a great word. I'm going to add it to my vocab. Yeah. Uh, secondly, with Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, I think the first thing is I don't see a special player either way. Uh, yep. Both have a, some injury issues. I just don't see like too much explosiveness or anything with either of these guys. And I think that when you drafted Zach Moss in the third round after just drafting Devin Singletary, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see a path to either of them uh, going too crazy. Um, and I think for me with best ball, it's just hard to envision either of them having too many top 20 weeks, these usable weeks in the best ball format because they're going to be splitting time. They love to pass in the red zone. Josh Allen is their goal line back historically. Um, I do agree that there's a, a chance that they kind of scale that back. They're trying to pay Josh Allen like the future guy, and I think they want to save some reps. But I can't even tell you if that would be Devin Singletary or Zach Moss down at the goal line. It's just right. too complicated for me, and I think that the Bills have shown they're going to lead the league in neutral pass rate or be in the top three. So um, for me, I'd rather roll the dice on some other guys, some guys I have like a little more faith in like their raw talent and maybe uh, an offense that I think is going to actually run the ball a little bit. Um, so I'm okay being off of them. I think that some people make a decent yeah. case for Zach Moss, but I just don't see it with either of the players, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think either guy is, you know, top elite guy. But yeah. I, insofar as one of them is going to get, 
if you said someone's going to get 70% snap share, which I probably don't even think happens, I would just bet on Zach Moss. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I just don't see it with Devin Singletary uh, very much, but you know, Devin Singletary who did not profile as a pass catcher out of Florida Atlantic has actually been pretty good in the pros, which is yep. interesting. Cause I mean, he was a, he was sized like a little pass catcher, but didn't profile as a little pass catcher. It's kind of like the Jarrett Patterson situation here. You know, it's like he, Looks like one, but didn't actually do that. And not sure if he can do that, but Devin Singletary has been able to do that. So, you know, he might create some value for himself in that regard. But, you know, who was a great pass catcher in college was Zach Moss. And, you know, he was, he, he, so I think he can play on all downs. He's certainly a better goal line player. Uh, he was banged up last year. I mean, pretty bad. He, he wasn't moving very well. <laughs> and for a guy who doesn't move very well to begin with. So, you know, Zach Moss needs to be healthy in order to have his value. Um, you know, he's kind of a bruiser a little bit. Uh, and, and as far as he can move, he needs to be able to move that well because he, he's not elite in that regard. But he's a hell of a football player. And if 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 he can get on the field and play 60, 65%, you know, snap share and and an opportunity share in that offense, and you know, maybe maybe vulture a few of those eight, nine, ten touchdowns that that Josh Allen gets, I think he can have some value. You know, as much as I want to be drafting him, I am kind of missing him in best ball drafts because I want to pay down a little bit more for him too. So I'm kind of with you. Um, you know, in theory, I want him, but in practice, I never do. And then I just can't yeah. pull the trigger on Devin Singletary. So I'm kind of with you. The problem with Zach Watches real quick was, yeah, I was with you. College tape was good. Profile, awesome. Productive, three down, all that stuff. And then it was just like injury, injury, injury. And then last year it was injury, injury, injury. And then like all of a sudden he's not as explosive. So right. it's like one of those where you want, like for me, I'm, I come from an analytics background. I love crunching the numbers and Zach Moss profiled like a guy that can contribute in the NFL. But when you're dealing with injuries, you got to kind of apply some context. Uh, kind of the same thing with Tylen Wallace where awesome looking early on and then tears his ACL. Uh, doesn't look right on tape last year has a no. bad combine, drops in the draft. Like all of a sudden, like though you got to kind of throw out those early years because the injury changed him. And like, obviously like in 2021, it's it's easier to come back from injuries than ever. But some guys, it just hasn't clicked right. I'm That's my fear with uh, Zach Moss and I guess Tylen Wallace too. So does that mean that maybe Matt Breida is a sneaky stash in a dynasty league right now? I mean, he's certainly free. I mean, you could probably trade for him for almost nothing and, you know, some sort of a throw in on some other deal and or pick him up off waivers or who knows what. Like Matt Breida is very, very available. Um, is that is that a crazy thing or what do you think? There? I don't think so. I mean, yeah. I don't play enough dynasty to know like how right. deep you guys go. But uh, I mean, I, I think that this backfield is like not settled like if Zach Moss got hurt and Devin Singletary is just still not making too many explosive plays, I can see Matt Breida get in there. Right. I mean, I, you know, it's not like, yeah, I mean, in dynasty, ultimately, you know, some leagues are super deep, some aren't. So, I mean, ultimately it's just whether or not you, you think it's even possible that Breida emerges. Sometimes, you know, we, we, we say, Oh, he's the third string. And even those guys are like, they'll just sign somebody else. Like, you know, yeah. But I, but I think Breida might have that if uh, if one of the two, literally one of the two, were to get hurt. So maybe not a crazy stash. Um, now going to their wide receivers, where one of my favorite players lives, and <clears throat> that's Gabriel Davis. Um, obviously, Stephon Diggs is the the alpha there. Uh, Cole Beasley should be manning the slot. Uh, I, I feel like t- Gabe Davis is going to be you know the the X. 
Um, and Emmanuel Sanders, the veteran, is going to basically be the, you know, fill in anywhere, play in the fourth wide receiver. He can play all all three positions. He can play in the slot. He can play Z. He can play X. I mean, he can play wherever he needs to play, but I don't think he is the X over Gabe Davis. I've heard that a lot. People saying, oh, Emmanuel Sanders is, is going to take Gabe Davis's role. What say you? I'm with you. I think that Emmanuel Sanders is kind of uh, the veteran who's just going to fill in wherever. And I think that his skill set skill set is already in the lineup with Stephon Diggs, just a way worse version of it. So I think that Gabe Davis brings that big dog energy in the red zone and kind of be the downfield threat at times as well. So I think that uh, between the two, I would be betting on Gabe Davis playing more snaps. I think that both uh, Gabe Davis and Emmanuel Sanders are at least somewhat interesting in best ball in these yeah. 18 round drafts just because you're being attached to that offense. And if something ever happened to Stephon Diggs, all of a sudden there's like 30% target share uh, up for the taking with a quarterback that loves to sling the ball. But I think out of all of these wide receivers in this offense, Cole Beasley is the one that's going the most overlooked. He was like a top 36, top 40 receiver in all formats, including best ball. This dude has spiked weeks despite being the slot receiver, which you don't yes. expect. But the difference is, the Bills, some games say, we're not running the ball a single time. And then all of a sudden, you get 10, 12, 14 targets to Cole Beasley, and that's how you get your spiked week. So I think that right now on underdog, Cole Beasley's like the wide receiver at 54. He was like the wide receiver 36 last year, and nothing has changed. In fact, they've got rid of John Brown. Uh, so I don't see what – I don't understand what I'm missing except that Cole Beasley is a little bit older. But that's like well-priced in to me. I don't expect the Bills – to run the ball more. I think that they're going to pass it a ton. Stefan's going to go off. Uh, Cole Beasley's going to go off. And then Gabe Davis and Emmanuel Sanders will have a couple spiked weeks thread in there too. I agree a hundred percent. I think Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs play in two wide receiver sets a lot. I mean, I know Cole Beasley will, uh, but they don't play very much 12 and they, they don't. So yeah, it, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're almost never exactly. So it's really those three guys start and play almost every down. So but insofar as there are two wide receiver set uh, situations, goal line situations, whatever, look, Gabe Davis is that guy. He actually outsnapped Cole Beasley last year for that for that exact reason. Uh, but you know, Cole Beasley obviously out targeted him, and I think probably will again this year. Um, you know, so I agree with you one thousand percent. I think that's exactly how this one plays out. And uh, you're right, Cole Beasley is an absolute value right now. So finally, moving the hell out of the AFC East, uh, we go with uh, we go we go to Denver, mile high, way up in the sky. Um, you know, I think the most interesting thing in Denver right now, well, there's a lot. So we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, one of my favorite players there, but I think the the it starts with the quarterback. I think you know for super flex leagues, for deep uh, deep dynasty leagues, for best ball, if you're going to be, I don't know, I guess you're not drafting Teddy or, or Drew Lock very often, mostly for super flex and. You know Scott Fishbowl and stuff like that. I mean Teddy or Drew Locke, one of them could have pretty good value this year. Who who do you think? I, I have a I have a pretty good uh, opinion as to who's going to come out of camp as a starter. But who do you think wins that job and and does that person in your mind keep that job? I don't have too much conviction in this. I'm going to say Teddy Bridgewater. He's proven that he can be an NFL starting quarterback, not a good one, but a starting quarterback. And Drew Locke. Hasn't I wouldn't be surprised if they give Drew Locke the starting job and let him run with it. But 
that division's tough. And if they lose to the Chargers and the Chiefs early on, then all of a sudden this is a win-nail roster. They're going to make a quarterback change. So um, I think that Teddy Bridgewater has a chance, especially if you just like look at the way the Broncos are set up. I mean, maybe a top five defense, uh, very good at <clears throat> the skill positions. So to me, that screams, yes. hey, let's try to win games 24 to 21. We need a quarterback that's not going to turn the ball over. Let's run the ball. We've got Javante Williams. That tells me that they would be trusting Teddy Bridgewater. But they invested a second-round pick into Drew Locke, so that's like the, the holdup. I don't have uh, too, much, too much conviction. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I, I, I think you said it. I think Drew Locke is this week one starter. I think that they do that to say like, you know, I think Teddy's there to be like, there's no more, there's no more leash, you know? Yes. This is it. Like, this is your chance. You got to go because we got a guy ready. You know, I just don't think they wanted to have all their eggs in the Drew Locke basket. But I think, look, if you, if they, if, if, if I said a Denver quarterback throws 40 touchdowns this year and you could guess either Teddy or Drew Locke, who would you guess? I think that like, Drew Locke probably has the higher ceiling bingo. outcome yeah but right. it's like one percent chance so it's like <laughs> right. what do you do? yes yeah. yeah it's like zero percent for teddy one percent for draw i agree yeah but my point is like he does have the higher ceiling you know what i mean yes. it's like if i say you know right they they absolutely you know right now if i say they win the super bowl i would say it's probably teddy you know what i mean it's yeah. like you know there could be some prolific play from drew luck but again i don't i don't think it's likely i do think it's not very likely by the way but um, so I think it's exactly what happens is I think Drew Locke goes out there, plays, doesn't play well enough. Maybe he plays good for a couple of games, but he's going to fall on his face at some point. It's going to be a two pick game. It's going to be so. And then Teddy's going to come in. He's going to just kind of vanilla his way on down the field. And they're good enough to do that. I mean, with Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy was dope last year. I mean, yes. you know. The, the analyst community were all just singing about, uh, you know, unrealized air yards all year. But look, it's true, man. He was open downfield and missed. That's what that's what unrealized air yards are. Um, you know, you targeted me because I was open. It was down the field, but I did not fucking catch the football and I didn't have very many yeah. drops. So who's that on? It's on on the quarterback. So, you know, if, if someone can just find him in rhythm, he's there. Hamler stretching the field. Tim Patrick, uh, look. Underrated I, player. I, Come on, man. I feel like he should be playing alongside Sutton and Judy. I would go Patrick, Sutton, Judy, and off you go and let Hamler kind of spell and get in there here and there, but that's just me. And then Fant, who at times when you watch Fant play, I said it last year, sometimes looks like the best tight end on the planet. You know, you're like, whoa, this dude's amazing. And then Albert O, who's a, a physical freak, and then now you come to the to the to the running back position. I am hearing more and more that Javante Williams is going to be the the guy week one, which I did not anticipate. I thought it was going to be a little bit of that. Uh, what was it, Nick Chubb, Carlos Hyde situation in in uh, in Cleveland when you know everybody was waiting for Chubb, and then finally they just couldn't resist. But it sounds like it might be sooner than that. Is that kind of what you're hearing? So with Javante, he was an absolute stud. Love him. Um, broken tackles, physical runner. I think he's clearly going to be the early down guy immediately. The question is, can he be the third down back? Because that's what Melvin Gordon like quietly is better at is the third down role. And that's why like, sure. Philip Lindsay played on early downs and Melvin Gordon kind of played on uh, third downs when both were healthy last year. So it kind of just depends if Javante Williams is ready to play that third down role because, because of Michael Carter, he didn't play that in college. So that's like the only projection, but Javante Williams, like, 
valedictorian. He is an elite athlete. Like he is awesome running. Like I, I don't, he seems like somebody that like, you just don't want to be betting against. Like, right. I, he just seems like an elite human. And yes. I'm kind of getting those vibes where like, yes. I just don't want to bet against this dude. So I, I kind of moved him up a couple spots in my rankings. I think he'll probably be an RB three for the first month or two. Melvin Gordon fumbles. Uh, Javante Williams shows a little bit on third downs. And then at the end of the year, He's an RB2 with upside. And this kind of just plays into the whole Broncos, uh, just the depth chart throughout. Defense first, run the ball with Javante Williams. They clearly made him a priority. If Teddy Bridgewater is starting at this time, they're going to be more balanced. And then all of a sudden, Javante Williams is carrying the ball 15, 20 times, plus that goal line roll. So um, I think in half PPR, he's a decent pick right now at, at ADP. I think in the second half of the season, he'll start – emerging and i always call this the post buy rookie bump you see production go up you see usage go up after that bye week and i think that javante williams is going to be the latest example of that happening yeah absolutely i mean i'm a big javante williams fan i flirted with him at my wr i'm excuse me my rb1 in this class um i've a, a lot of people smarter than me have him there um had him there whatever um i think he's as close to prototype as you can as you can build in a lab. You mentioned the the tackle breaking, um, which um, you know many have shown is one of the most translatable skill sets that you can you know sort of line up from college to pros. You know if you can break tackles there, you can break tackles here. Um, you know the, it's the Daryl Henderson thing when he was running free. You know it's hard to evaluate whether or not he's going to be able to beat uh, you know NFL linebackers, yeah. but. With uh, Javante just, you know, literally owning dudes all over the college landscape everywhere, it's pretty evident. You know, you mentioned the pass catching. Um, you know, he, I, I, you know, I didn't watch every North Carolina game. I'd be lying to you if I said I did. So I don't know how each of these catches of his 50 total catches in his, his career looked, but he was eight in his freshman year, 17 in his so, uh, sophomore year, and then all the way up to, um, uh, 25 for 305, 12, over 12 yards a catch, uh, three scoring. So by his junior year, he was at least good. I mean, yes. 12 yards a catch for 25 catches in only uh, 11 games. That To me, that's fantastic. Um, you know, I, I had joked he was eight yards a touch uh, his, his junior year, and he scored 22 times. So like Ooh. like twelve percent of the time he was tackled by the end zone. You know, it's like he he just was he was just dope last year. Um, he's a former linebacker. You you mentioned valedictorian. I did not know that. Um, I am full man crush with Javante. I just you know now that I'm starting to see it. Right, you're watching the games on Sunday. And it's like, oh, they split the carries between Melvin Gordon and Javante. And Javante has two or three like, holy shit, did you see Javante? You know, yeah. moments. And he just – I don't think he's going to be denied. I think he's an excellent pick in best ball and redraft this year. You may have to sit on him weeks one, two, three, somewhere in there. Who knows how long. But he – at the end of the year, I think it's going to be his. And who's to say that Melvin Gordon even holds up for a full year? Uh, uh, yeah, Wheels up Javante Williams. Absolutely love that dude. Uh, so I'm with you 100. percent You're getting me excited, Hayden. This is, I just this I just is... moved Javante Williams a spot ahead of Travis Etienne for for best ball dynasty yeah. gets really cloudy. I just think that um, I, I'm I'm suspicious of the Jaguars backfield right now, and I'm pretty confident that Javante Williams is 
a much better player than Melvin Gordon. And um, I think that the, there's a chance that the Broncos want to just play smash mouth uh, football because their defense is so good. So um, I'm not going to be surprised if Javante Williams is like the RB 14 uh, for right. the fantasy playoffs. Like by that time, he's just emerging. And I mean, he just, he's just too elite of a human. Like he's just like giving me these vibes. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you know, I don't want to bet against him. He's also he was the youngest uh, running back. I think he just turned yes. 21. He yes. was 20 throughout the whole process, so he's going to be a 21 year old rookie. In some ways, that actually is bad for redraft best ball because maybe he's a little bit younger and more mature. But the way you're talking about him, he sounds like you know uh, a, a, an advanced um, you know uh, person human yes. right so uh but you know that that really bodes well for dynasty as he's over two full years younger than Najee Harris and he's on a better team uh going forward I think anyway I don't know maybe you know, that could be it's, it's that's close. speculative that's speculative um you know I think Pittsburgh takes a step back but you know that's just my yeah. my maybe I'm wrong there too I, I don't know that we'll see um but certainly those skill positions look pretty good in Denver uh, the defense, as you point out, move to a team that d- does not have very many uh, things looking up, in my opinion. Uh, the Detroit Lions. Um, I don't know, man. You know, uh, I really love the pick of Sewell, I guess. I mean, the offensive line is going to be dope. And 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 I'm a big offensive line advocate. I don't think you get much done without a good offensive line. So maybe they're, they're, they're a bit better than I'm even giving them credit for in my own brain. But, um, you know, Goff does not excite me. Their weapons don't excite me outside of, of course, you know, Hawkinson. Um, you know, I just wonder how they're going to be able to move the football in certain game situations like uh, being down, which with their defense, they will likely be down. Um, you know, so what the hell? What's going to happen with this Detroit Lions team? I mean, any, any clue here? Nope. I think they're going to have the second worst record. And I think they're probably going to average about 18 points per game. And that might be generous. Uh, their receiver core is awful. I'm guessing awful. the starting lineup is going to be Brashad Perriman, Tyrell Williams on the outside. Yep. Amon Ross St. Brown probably in the slot if you can hold off Quintez Cephas, who's going to be rotating in and out of there too. So I don't know, man. Like the, the, the only player that's like even, or the two players that are only relevant in most drafts are Swift and Hawkinson. And I think Hawkinson's a fine player. I don't think he's yeah. like some crazy player, but I think he's a fine player. He's going to catch a lot of passes. I think he deserves to be a mid range tight end one. And then Deandre Swift, I'm a little lower on. Uh, I'm kind of buying into this narrative that Jamal Williams is like actually going to be involved. And yes. I think that Deandre Swift is an, is a decent <laughs> player. I also think that Jamal Williams is an okay player. And all these quotes from Anthony Lynn in the front office, just keep saying, Jamal Williams is the bruiser. DeAndre Swift comes in uh, for the the open field stuff, and yeah. you, that you worries heard, me. You heard the the Anthony Lynn quote where he didn't just say bruiser; he used different terminology, and he didn't say he said a back and yes. b back. Yeah, it was one a one b. I didn't like that. He he, he basically said Jamal is an a back, yep. meaning that he is the type of back that is all purpose, and that. Swift is a B, which is sort of like a satellite back. He's basically calling him JD McKissick or something. It's like, yeah, I don't love that wording because that means it's going to be, you know, Swift with, you know, five to 10 carries. I need him to be at 12 to 16 carries, you know, right? I mean, 
Oh boy, oh boy. You know, if 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 Swift only gets 100 to 150 carries this year, that's going to be a huge problem. And and I'm not saying he is. I'm just saying there's the fear that he will. You know, I don't know, man. That that that's just so scary. And again, what what, what do we say at the top with the New York Jets? Draft players, especially running backs on good teams that score. Yeah. How many scoring opportunities are those running backs really going to have? You know, DeAndre Swift's va- value is going to be all locked up in his pass catching. And again, in a half PPR setting, less valuable than in a full PPR. So I am very, very dubious of DeAndre Swift, not the player, the situation. I'm right there with you. Players like David Montgomery, Miles Sanders, I think like those type of guys, certainly Chris Carson, oh, I would draft over DeAndre Swift. Me and too. I think, I think DeAndre Swift's a, a good player. I don't think he's like some crazy running back. I think that he's a maybe a slightly above average NFL running back. But we talked about this with Denzel Mims is this coaching staff has no allegiance to DeAndre Swift. They didn't draft him in the second round. So that's like the other thing that's they brought in Jamal Williams. Like they use free agency capital to do this. And like we can look back at the Chargers days with Anthony Lynn. I mean, you weren't really trusting his coaching decisions very often. Like (laughs) it's just one of those situations where it's like, all right, I'll I'll find Brashad Perriman in the 16th round. Maybe TJ Hawkinson in round five or six. Um, but I'm not trying to spend a third round pick on DeAndre Swift when I can draft like Mike Evans instead. Um, so it's just a, kind of one of those weird spots where I don't like being low on DeAndre Swift, but I think that everything is working against him right now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Hawkinson fan. I, I may disagree with you about the player, but actually I – don't have any problem with your analysis because it lines up with mine. Last year, I was all Hawkinson all day long. He was mm-hmm. going off tight end 12 was as early as he was yep. going. Like He was going tight end 12 to tight end 16, and I thought that was nonsense and laughable. Uh, he, he was well inside my top six in terms of where I was uh, valuing him and where I thought he would be. And sure enough, I think he was tight end five or four or something like that. So – absolutely was the guy now he's being drafted at tight end five six I don't like him there because I think there's a you know there's just enough that could go wrong with this offense that you know it it could not work out you know it certainly could still work out for him because he's definitely going to be the primary target which really sucks because he's not a primary target you know he shouldn't be um you know he should be that that inline tight end that just kills you because you're paying attention to other things and yeah he's just dope and he's an amazing blocker so look that I'm with you. Just I'm I'm fading Hawkinson not because of the player, but because of the situation and because of the cost. Um, you know, to me, there's a lot of other tight ends down the board. I'd rather I'd rather have at cost. Uh, you know, we'll, maybe we'll get there because that'll be fun. But uh, let's let's move along. Um, so Arizona Cardinals, they're going to run a lot of plays. Kyler Murray is very good uh, if he's healthy. Uh, he can make things happen with his legs. They're going to have a, a lot of offensive plays because of pace and because of conversion. Uh, Kyler Murray is a, a great, great player, man. He's he's a really skilled player. He's a, he's one of those those winner type kids as well. Like he's just a he's yep. a baller. He's going out there and and he can move the chains with his legs, just getting you know an eight yard run to the to the sticks uh, on third and seven. You know, get back out there now, DeAndre Hopkins. His role's unquestioned. He's going to get 150 targets. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. Where the questions lie with this team are at running back. Um, you know, right now, where Chase Edmonds is being drafted, 
he's either, I mean, of course you can say this about everybody, but he's either a huge value or, or potentially even a little bit of an overpay, you know, because if he hits where, like if he's, if he gets somewhere in the 70% snap share, that running back target share, goal line share, if he gets all that, he could be a top 15 running back yep. with ease. Um, do you see that? Or is that maybe a little bit of wishful thinking? The upside's there. That's why you're drafting Kenyon Drake at like 13th overall last year. So yep. that's like, it's in the range of outcomes. To me, I'm a little lower on Chase Edmonds. And like, I mean, I really hate to say this, but I'm way higher on James Conner than everybody else. That must hurt. Yeah. And that's a- <laughs> I mean, I, I truly hate this. But if you just look at it, I don't think that Chase Edmonds is like going to run between the tackles 12 times per game. I agree. I know for a fact James Conner can do that. Yep. And if James or if Chase Edmonds got hurt, James Conner could be a bell cow back. And I think that James Conner actually has that pretty high end ceiling if Chase Edmonds missed time. And he's Chase Edmonds, a small back. I think he's a third down back. The other concern with Chase Edmonds is Rondell Moore is an absolute beast and they kind of play in a similar ish role. Like if they're, if they're going to be designing screens, like how many of those are going to go to Rondell Moore now because they weren't throwing screens to freaking Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk last year. So <laughs> no. um, there's a lot of weird things going on, but I'm with you. Like it's hard because the running backs in this offense do work. They play at a fast pace. Cliff Kingsbury gets a lot of crap uh, for his play calling, but his rushing offense is very well schemed up. They're always super efficient. A lot of that is because of Kyler Murray himself, but I, I, I'm higher on James Conner because I think that he's going to get more of that Kenyon Drake role and Kenyon Drake was still like a top 20-ish running back in best ball last year because he had some crazy spiked weeks. And he was literally one of the least efficient running backs. I don't care what metric you look at last year because of his ankle injury. So I think that there's a chance that James Conner is better than what Kenyon Drake was last year. And Kenyon Drake was being uh, like drafted as a top 15 running back, ended up finishing off the season like RB24. And then you have James Conner now being drafted as like RB40. So... I hate to be this guy. Nobody wants to be high on James Conner in the year 2021. But <laughs> I, right. I do the I do the math, and then all of a sudden I'm like, well, now what? Like I yes. kind of have to be. Yeah, it really hurts to be that guy, right? Like, yeah. you know, you definitely don't want to say that out loud. Like, you know, we may even cut this whole segment for you. It's not a <laughs> exactly. problem. Yeah, you got it, man. I don't want. I mean, Josh, do- Josh Norris, and I think we're going to do a podcast <laughs> soon. Uh, called players uh we're gonna make the case for that nobody else wants to and i like this is gonna be the time where like all right oh, plug yeah. your ears don't hold me accountable but this is why you need to be drafting james connor james connor is the poster boy for that i mean oh yeah now the problem with that is that what are the odds zero to 100 that james connor could hold up to that role physically for an entire season I can say the same thing about Chase Edmonds, who's just smaller too. So, but, that, but it's, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard. Yeah, I just, I mean, like, um, you know, I think Chase Edmonds' role. Look, if he gets ten carries and they continue to target him, I, I'm fine with that. Like, yep. I hope James Conner takes some of those empty carries. You know, where he's yep. smashing it up there. I just want Chase Edmonds to get like basically all the fun, like passing down work, because obviously he's better than James Conner yep. at that, and like. You know, a few carries a, a game, and and like you say, they scheme it up where it's wide open. Like they have some pretty big running lanes because of Kyler Murray, because of the four out, you know, four wide, and the things they do. Um, so it, yeah, the 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 Chase Edmonds sort of weekly upside, especially in a best ball format, is a little tantalizing because he could have a few games where it's like, you know, seven catches, eighty five yards, a touch, 
you know, runs one in, all of a sudden, like, Jesus, chase him. Yep. You know, and he didn't have, I, I never said 150 yards rushing. It could have 10 carries for 35 yards. And yep. that's all fine. He had, you know, still over 100 yards total offense and two touchies. So, touchies, what the fuck are those, man? That <laughs> was like tutties those. and touchdowns. I, I didn't like that at all. <laughs> I'm so sorry, folks. You're free to turn the fucking podcast off and never listen again to that <laughs> nonsense. Um, but uh, but the real question kind of is after the DeAndre Hopkins, too, you know, you have so many question marks. You know, Christian Kirk, who I was somewhat high on as a as a slot player or, or a Z player that could – you know, and he's actually seen target share. Yeah, Christian Kirk seen he, he's seen seventy nine targets last year, but he saw one hundred and eight targets in thirteen games in, in two thousand nineteen. Um, you know, AJ Green was there a worse wide receiver in the NFL last year nope. than AJ Green? Right, there wasn't, and here he is a year older. I don't know what the hell he's doing on this squad. Uh, and then you have Rondell Moore, who. I mean, I, I don't know what to make of Rondo Moore. Andy Isabella is still somehow alive. Um, I, I just don't know, man. I, I can't figure out what the hell's really going to happen. Like, you know, please just don't give 100 targets to A.J. Green, right? So I think I have this one figured out. So Ooh. I think one of, one of the things is, uh, like the Bills and the Cardinals, like people say, oh, they run like a lot of 10 personnel, four wide receiver sets. It's like 10, 20% of the snaps. Uh, or passing plays are in uh, 10 personnel. So mm-hmm. the big key is figure out 11 personnel. And that's like basically for every offense, except like the Browns and the Patriots. Right. So the, I think 11 personnel is going to be DeAndre at the X, Rondale Moore in the slot. And I think it's going to be AJ green. They gave AJ green a lot of cash this year. And maybe they are like, uh, AJ, like, were you like not trying last year? Or like, what was, what was going on there? And then maybe you get like this resurged, AJ Green, I think that AJ Green's going to play a lot of the snaps this year. I don't think it's going to be the best use of that, but I think that AJ Green's going to play a lot of snaps. And I think that when they're trying to dial up something deep, it'll be Christian Kirk on the outside. But the problem with those Christian Kirk, Kirk targets is they're all next to the sideline. And if you look at the data, yes, sidelines sideline targets are way less valuable than over the middle targets, and especially with Christian Kirk's size profile. He's not a jump ball specialist near the sideline, so I don't like how they use Christian Kirk. Agreed. I think I think it's going to be like AJ Green in that role, where it's AJ Green near the sideline, right. twenty yards down the field, and they're throwing up jump balls to AJ Green. And last year he was brutal, terrible. I think the Cardinals are going to go with that. So I think AJ Green's going to be in the starting lineup, and Rondell Moore is going to be in the slot, and then obviously DeAndre is going to go off again. Yeah, uh, I unfortunately I agree with you. Like that's I mean, what's what crazy. was AJ Green's contract? I'm going to look it up. Oh boy, this is going to be ugly. And while you're looking it up, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you this question: uh, Christian Kirk in college was like a, a return specialist. He's yep. one of these guys that's like get the ball in his hands, and he's very good with the ball in his hands. What the hell are they doing throwing him? I saw. I think it was you who said it too. It was like 95 percent of his targets were within like three yep. inches of the sideline. <laughs> like like yep. literally, they were like stand like. It's like they were trying to push him onto the bench. Like, listen, go stand, sit on the bench. We'll throw you a few balls. And I think that's what's going to happen this year. You're right. It's going to be A.J. Green on the outside, uh, DeAndre Hopkins on the outside, and then some combination of – I guess you're I, – I, I just was thinking that they would move Kirk inside, and that's what this thing was. And then they go get Rondale Moore. It's like, wait a minute. 
you know, maybe, yeah, you're right. They'll run 10, 20% for wide receiver, but where it's, you know, the, 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 the two old guys on the outside and Kirk yeah. and Rondell in the middle, but I, I just don't see it. What, what'd you find there? AJ Green, they gave him $6 million on a one-year contract. I mean, that's, that's like more than Jameson Crowder. Jameson Crowder was actually productive last year. So like, I mean, that's like not nothing money. Like $6 million is like, especially in with a reduced salary cap, like, they actually gave him some serious cash here. So I think AJ Green's going to play. I don't think that Christian Kirk has done anything in the NFL to like warrant. He must be a starter. Like I think he's a fringe starter and he'll probably be a backup next year. And like, that's just like the path he's on. So uh, I think you're going to see a lot of ugly AJ Green targets, um, but I think he's going to be on the field. (laughs) AJ Green saw over a hundred targets last year. I think it was 108. He was five yards per target. That was 107th in the NFL. I mean, yards per route run, 99th. Like, he was awful. Was I mean, brutal. he was awful. Yeah, I think I have a, um expected fantasy points model, and I compare yeah. it to how many fantasy points they did. There was like 104 qualifiers, and A.J. Green was literally dead last last year. I'm not surprised. Like, it's like it was beyond, beyond brutal. So, yes. um, may, I mean, maybe he's just like, I got a year under his belt and he like, he needed to get those on field reps. And like, now he's like the, the, the team's actually good. And he's the one that wants to go out there, but he's finally round. He's finally rounding into form at age 33 again. Yeah, like, exactly. I mean, exactly. what are the odds of that? Right. I mean, Gosh. and this dude was dope. So don't, don't, don't get it twisted. AJ yep. Green was dope. He's also now 33 and was awful coming off injury. So I, yeah. I, I just don't see it. I mean, I hope, I hope he's awesome. I mean, I would, that would be fun. first of all, that would be me, fun. are you shitting me? I would that love would so that. Like, yeah. Oh, if you had vintage AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins, and like Rodale Moore the slot, I'm that here for fun. it, man. I just yeah. yes. So here's here's to wishing that AJ Green somehow <laughs> found a time machine and is coming back. So I'm here for it. Um also real quick, AJ, moving on. AJ Green. Go yeah. They get they, they tacked on two void years to his contract year uh to fit him in. So like they're like punting cash into future uh years too like that's how desperate the cardinals wanted aj green so like i'm pretty sure aj green's gonna start like i'm pretty sure that's gonna happen yeah i i i 100 agree why would you bring him in on that i 100 agree and it's like that's where i wasn't because obviously hopkins is gonna start i i agree with you that aj green's on the other outside i was wondering if it's gonna be kirk in the slot and rondell moore works his way in that that could be how it starts but that would break my heart that would what, break my heart. Uh, Rondell Moore fan here. I mean, I'm a Rondell Moore fan too, but right? I is that where? It, well, yeah, I mean, I love Rondell Moore. I think I think this is like one of the best landing spots for him. Fast pace in the slot. Uh, the Cardinals really needed a, a some slot presence because uh, Cardinals were not throwing the ball over the middle at all. So I think you're gonna see a lot of quick game stuff that you for sure gonna get from from Cliff Kingsbury. There was like a, a I had some like worries that. Rondell Moore would go to a team without a creative offensive coordinator and then it would kind of be wasted uh, because he hasn't shown too much of him being like a traditional wide receiver. Like, right. I love Rondell Moore, but like I, I'm willing to admit, like he was not winning 15 yards downfield, like Mm-mm. ever, ever, ever. He needs to show that. So I think that this is an offense like will actually get him some scheme touches and he's just so electric that I think he's actually going to be pretty productive. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I, also the other thing is I think Rondell with any of the, um, you know, mobile quarterbacks who can make plays the second play. You know, what better guy than a guy who's like a joystick out there who runs a little, you know, slant crosser or whatever, something in the yeah. middle, and then the play breaks down. He just like 
jukes you and like he's going in a different direction, he's going to be open, you know. So that secondary play going deep, wherever the hell he, wherever he goes, at that point he'll be open. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So yeah, I think Kyler breaking play, breaking second play, you know, and on the move is gonna is gonna have uh, Rondale available to him. So Big that's time. exciting as well. Big time. Yeah. Um, the other the other team, and and I I just tweeted this. I think whenever yesterday I said. Um, Jameis Winston is the biggest boom bust, you know, uh, quarterback yep. late in the draft. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, this dude threw for 5,000 yards and like, you know, 40 touchdowns, whatever it was. He threw 40 interceptions. He was a 40 40 guy. He's like uh, De- uh, Ricky Henderson over here. But, <laughs> you know, but um, I mean, he has the upside. And this team with Kamara, Thomas, Traquan, like, there's going to be some players around him. I mean, he, he gets. Um, you know, Peyton there to sort of, you know, hey, good offensive mind, great structure, uh, good defense. I mean, you know, we <laughs> wait, where have I heard this story before? Wait, oh, yeah, Tampa Bay. He had a Super Bowl roster and fucked it up. Look, I, I get it. He could totally screw this up. I totally – I'm here for that too, by the way. I want his first pass to be a pick six, please, God. <laughs> uh, I mean, nothing would be better. But my point is, like – the upside of, and I'll say it for Taysom too. Like, if you told me one of these guys, like either one, was getting ninety percent quarterback, you know, snaps for the season, I would draft them maybe as high as like in the Taysom, maybe even in the top twelve quarterbacks. Like, if you just told me he's going to get all of it, yep. There's there's going to be some fantasy points here from one of these two guys. What the hell is going to happen? So I'm projecting Jameis Winston to start more games because I'm not a believer in Taysom Hill. But if Taysom Hill was starting, he's going to be like well, well in the fantasy mix just because his dual threat. But I, I think that Jameis Winston is the project for Sean Payton, and uh, I think Sean Payton already tried the Taysom Hill stuff in those uh, spot starts last year, and they won some games. But man, I just didn't see it on film. I, I just I think that Jameis Winston can really sling the ball. So I'm kind of betting on. Sean Payton figuring out Jameis Winston a little bit, and I'm a little higher on Jameis Winston. I think he's going to ultimately start uh, more games. The the only thing that's giving me pause is like, what happens if the Saints get down to the red zone, and then all of a sudden Sean Payton has a Taysom Hill package, and then like Jameis Winston's averaging 240 passing yards, but he's not throwing for any touchdowns because like Taysom Hill's like this like goal line vulture extraordinaire. So um, yeah. I just think that Jameis Winston is just a much better player than Taysom Hill. And I think that I want to be betting on Sean Payton because he's like, I mean, he's one of the best offensive minds in like the history of the NFL. So um, I think that Jameis Winston's probably going a little overlooked. I think you can I make agree. the same argument for Taysom Hill. I'm just a Jameis over Taysom guy. And I think that's just like my tape evaluation. Yeah, I'm with you. I think I think it's Jameis. It was weird last year because, of course, when Breeze got hurt, they didn't go to Jameis. And I think that's where the PTSD is coming from uh, for fantasy gamers is that they're like, wait a minute. He didn't even go to Jameis last year when he had him and he had a playoff team and he had this opportunity. Why the hell would he go to him now? And that actually makes sense. You know, I can hear that argument. But I actually think when, when it really comes down to it, I think Jameis is the starting quarterback and Taysom will play – like he did last year with Drew Brees, but I think that maybe gets ramped up. I think you're correct. I think the Taysom quote unquote packages are yeah. going to be more often, and sometimes maybe look if the, if if Sean Payton is as smart as you say he is. Hey man, if we're up seventeen to three, maybe it's time for just like ground and pound with the Taysom package for a while, right? You know, yeah. 
uh, right? I mean, we don't need to sit back and throw it. If we're going to run it and we're going to be run focused, why wouldn't we want the additional uh, threat of, you know, Taysom running it too, where you can really put pressure on the defense as opposed to Jameis, who obviously is not going to be running RPOs and taking the edge. Um, I think that maybe, and of course, if you're down, you know, 21 to three, it's like, well, Taysom ain't bringing you back. So it's, it's, it's uh, DGAF time. And so I think if he's smart, actually, he would probably use them both and in situations where it merits. Yep. So I think there's a, a really weird thing going on in best ball specifically is because Taysom Hill changes the offense so drastically, you've seen Michael Thomas's ADP drop. You've seen yeah. Traquan Smith's drop, Adam Troutman's dropped because if, uh, if Taysom Hill is the quarterback, their outlook doesn't look uh, too, too good. But if you draft Michael Thomas at his current ADP and then get Troutman and Traquan Smith, and then you draft Jameis Winston, because you're assuming that Jameis is going to be the starter, then all of a sudden you have values at three different spots. Yes. And you're banking, going all in on an actual legit passing offense. And I've heard I've heard the contract uh, thing or the, the Taysom playing last year. The, yeah. I think the big difference is that the offseason right before that, the Saints gave Taysom Hill a ton of money way more money than they did to Jameis. So I think that because they gave him like $14 million, they kind of had to play Taysom. Otherwise, you're like, what are you guys doing? You gave Taysom $14 million. And I think this year it's changed. Uh, Taysom Hill isn't making as much money. Jameis Winston, they re-signed. So I think that uh, last year they had to play him because of the contract. This year it's more uh, who's going to win the camp battle. And like you just can't persuade me that Taysom Hill is like a better player than uh, Jameis Winston, who was like drafted in the top five. Yeah. You can't tell me that Taysom Hill is going to be a 17 game <coughs> starter in the NFL. Right. Yeah. I just don't see it. I mean, I just don't see it. Not for a team that's winning. And I think they have uh, hopes of winning. You know, Winston is certainly a, a roll of the dice, too. But who knows? Uh, dude got LASIK, man. It's <laughs> anything that's is right. possible. Anything that's is right. possible. You know, and, and you've said it, man. I absolutely love the Winston, Traquan, Troutman stack. Like, if I haven't gotten a stack and I'm kind of like, I get sniped on snack, uh, snacks. I do get sniped on some <laughs> snacks, do everybody. I try real hard not to, but it happens. Um, but if I, I go for that, uh, that, that Winston, Traquan, Troutman uh, stack late, and it's like, that could be like legit. That could oh, definitely yeah. be a legit stack. Um, so I'm with you 100%. Yeah, Troutman, um, I think Troutman's a good player for best ball. I think he's going to have a breakout season. He was, I think, number one in PFF run blocking among tight ends last year as a rookie. That's super uh, impressive, and he was so productive at, at school. So uh, with with Jared Cook leaving, I think that Troutman's going to be uh, somebody that could emerge as like a every week fantasy tight end one if James could hold on to the starting job. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that depth chart, you, you just – like literally, if you read the players behind Troutman, you, I mean, okay, Nick Vanette. I mean, please don't let Nick Vanette yes, ruin anything else. Yeah, right. I mean, don't let him ruin anything else. I mean, he was ruining my Alfred, Alfred O last year. Don't let him ruin my Adam Troutman this year. And that's Garrett Griffin, Ethan. Wool- like, I don't know. None of these guys, like, yeah. I feel like Troutman's a guy. And then you look at their wide receiver depth chart. Obviously, it's Michael Thomas, Traquan Smith. Yeah. And, and, and like it's behind that, happened. it's like, Marquez Callaway, I mean, he could be pretty good. I actually don't dislike him. Deontay Harris, they were doing that stuff with him. He's like that little uh, jitterbug, yep. right? Jordan Humphrey is like the, you know, I mean, he's he's still running his 40. I mean, he's, he's yep. just a kind of an end zone clasher. Uh, there, there's just not a lot of t- 
target competition. So Traquan and Troutman are very undervalued in, in probably all formats, but certainly on best ball, I think they're just like easy clicks late. Yep. I love I love drafting them both on almost every every draft. So I'm with and you. I, I'm with you with with Marquez Callaway. I think he can actually play a little bit. I would I think that he's going to start in eleven personnel. Michael Thomas in the slot, Traquan and Marquez Callaway uh, on the perimeter, and then yep. let Alvin Kamara go crazy. So yeah. I think that the entire Saints offense is. Uh, being suppressed because they're worried about Taysom Hill. But if you go into the draft, assuming Jameis Winston is going to start and that you're right, then all of a sudden you see all these values across best ball. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, let, let's talk about something that's a lot of fun. Uh, you're, you're a guy who's a little bit in the know, if not a lot in the know. I don't know. I mean, you can tell me otherwise. I'm sure you'll be <laughs> modest. But what the hell's going on with Green Bay? Let's just talk about Aaron Rodgers for a quick second. What, what do you know? What do you think? What do you hear? I know nothing. I hear nothing. I look at the contract and yes. love that. I'm, I'm assuming that Aaron Rodgers is going to come back. Like Me too. I know he's rich, but like $35 million to retire. I don't know about all that. I don't think that the Packers want to set this precedent of trading away their best player. I think that Aaron Rodgers is, um, he's got that personality one where he wants to make everything difficult and kind of have things his way. But at the end of the day, he knows that his best chances of winning a Super Bowl are with the Packers, and I think he ultimately he's going to go into training camp. He's going to play one more year for the Packers. They'll win a bunch of games. He'll put up a bunch of numbers again, and then he'll leave and go to the Broncos or wherever next offseason. I just I, I just don't see how the, the Packers, I think, would have traded him at the draft if they were adamant on trading him, if they knew that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play. So I think that Aaron Rodgers is like doing like the biggest troll job you've seen just trying to make hell for everybody in the Packers organization. And, and on August 23rd, here comes Aaron Rodgers into training camp. I have some very, well, insofar as my listeners listen, some very famous Aaron Rodgers rants on this pod and el- other pods. I've graced other pods and given my my Aaron Rodgers rant, um, which is fun. I don't know if I can, if I can summons it for you, but basically <laughs> – you know, I, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to play this year as well um, for the Green Bay Packers. I kind of agree. Just to give you a window to the in, uh, uh, of of my listeners and friends, I had someone uh, DM me and they they said, "I think I figured out this Aaron Rodgers situation." I said, and I you know said, "Okay, t- what what are you talking about?" He goes, "He started smoking weed this off season, and then he just started telling me, think about it. You know, the 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 trips to Hawaii, he's yep. hanging out with you know." Uh, models and actresses. He's hanging out in Hollywood. Like, and I said, I, I, I DM back. I said that would explain the long hair. And he's like, yep. bingo. So clearly, it may be just a situation where they, you know, this whole thing, this philosophical difference. He might be just, you know, you know, taking mushrooms here in Hollywood, and he's just really finding himself. And and of course, that that that, that stands to reason. So I don't know what you think about this conspiracy theory. Um, well, I would guess I would guess um, the weed isn't very good in Wisconsin. Like I would just guess that would just not be the case. I can I can tell right, you. Right, but he's been fact, hanging out in L.A. Right, exactly. So that's probably why he wants to miss mini camp and training camp. Is like I'll go to Hawaii and <laughs> and yeah. and Westwood where I can find some good weed, and I'm not going to go to Wisconsin. Yeah, there's some merit to it. There's some merit to it. There we go. There we go. My my listeners will be happy. I'm sure they're 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 nodding right now. They're just they're so happy. You said there's some merit. 
Um, actually there is kind of, but, um, but, but it's, it's kind of silly. All right. So, but I, what I do think is that he does come back and it's okay. So he comes back him and Devonte. by the way, if you think he comes back, is there a better value stack than Devonte and Aaron Rodgers in best ball right now? Yeah. I mean, Devonte Adams would immediately oh, go to like eighth overall in uh, half PPR best ball at underdog and Aaron Rodgers would climb up like a round or two, probably two, three rounds. And like, I mean, stack it up now because once Aaron Rodgers is back and the ADP moves, you don't want to be the guy now drafting Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams stacks. And I'll even throw in Marquez Valdez Scantling on the outside, Amari Rodgers for the, for you dynasty folks. I think he's going to play in the slot, kind of take on that Debo Samuel role. You got to remember LaFleur is a Shanahan guy. And I, and like before the draft, I called uh, Amari Rodgers um, third round, like unexplosive Debo Samuel. They kind of win in the same uh, yeah. same way. So I think that yes. those guys plus Tunyon, like you can get a pretty decent stack for cheap um, for the Packers. And I think even if you just wanted to draft Aaron Rodgers in general, like yeah. even if he gets traded, yes, he's still going to be a value where he's where he's being drafted right now. He's a quarterback eleven. I mean, I have him ranked at quarterback eight, and that's me just assuming that he's going to be back. So I think you're going to get a value, even if you think that he's going to get traded to the Broncos. Um, either way, like Aaron Rodgers is a value, and I I couldn't agree more with Devonte Adams. Like the dude was like so insane last year. I mean, he was way ahead of even like the Stephon Diggs tier of like elite wide receivers. He was like in a tier of his own. Um, he would climb like ten spots immediately, and I think like you said, like. Once he once he starts coming off this high, he's probably going to end up uh, coming back to training camp. Yeah, the yeah, that high is going to last, man. He's got a little little uh, little dime piece too. So, right. but um, but he, he okay. So the the galaxy brain stack of you know like Cortland Sutton and Aaron Rodgers is super fun. Check check this one. I I recently went uh, Tyreek Hill round one. It was a late pick. Early went uh, Devonte Adams, and I was able to stack. Ty Hill with with uh, Mahomes and Devonte with Aaron Rodgers, and I don't even remember the rest of the team. Like if that thing comes through, that's a hell of a best ball team. So right. you know, right? I mean, and it's possible. Whereas you know, if they're both going at value, it's impossible because Devonte is a first round pick, not a second round pick. And no, I mean, you, you almost can't justify the cost of paying up for Aaron Rodgers in like round five or six. But but now yeah. you're getting them like. Eight, nine, ten. Something. Yeah, it's like, eight, what the hell is he eight, doing eight back here? In there. Yep. Yeah, it's like, why is he available? Click, you know, and he's going to play. And like you say, even if he doesn't stack with Devonte at that point, okay, so he's somewhere else. But I really think right now, if I were betting, I, I bet that he's going to play and play in uh, in Green Bay. You answered my next question uh, in advance because you're that fucking good, which is, is it is it Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Alan Lazard? So I think it makes most sense. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a better damn field threat than Alan Lazard by a wide Agreed. margin. And you have Devontae Adams who can win underneath, intermediate. He can win wherever. Amari Rodgers is basically only winning within 12 yards of the line of scrimmage. So why would you play Alan Lazard at that second outside wide receiver spot? To me, it's going to be Devontae Adams, Amari Rodgers in the slot, Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the perimeter. And I think that MVS is a fantastic best ball pick you never play him in redraft you'll probably never start him in your dynasty but in best ball i can promise you right now if aaron Rodgers plays there will be uh, two weeks at least where yep. mvs has a 50 yard touchdown and yep. that dude is in your uh, yep. best ball lineup and he's basically free so i would rather roll the dice on mvs i think he's a better player than alan lazard 
Um, I know he drops the ball, but like, give me a break. Like it's so hard to catch a ball 40 yards downfield with a defender trapped on you. Like you can't call that as bad of a drop as like a drop, like from five yards away on a slant route. Like those drops are so hard to complete. So I think that uh, people sleep on MVS. He's like, he has a, a role in an NFL offense. And when you're attached to Aaron Rodgers, I think you're a value. I agree. I agree. I mean, he's going to have two or three games where he goes over 100 with a touch. Touchy. Yep. As, as yeah, we, with a touchy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like tutty. Uh, I don't really like that when I hear it. And I, I was, <laughs> so I made it worse. You know, let's make tutty even worse uh, with a touchy. <laughs> That's so bad. I, I love, love that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, um, you know, MVS, you know, in his rookie year, saw 73 targets. You know, kind of took a step back, and and I don't know. He's just kind of been in that, you know, fifty set, fifty to sixty target range. If he can just see, you know, eighty targets or something like that, like just kind of play consistently on the outside. I don't know if he's good enough, but I I do agree with you. He's a better overall prospect than than uh, Lazard, and I think Lazard's kind of just that outside clasher. He does have value, but um, yeah, I, I agree with you. That perfect uh, skill set match of MVS sort of playing outside and, and winning with speed. Uh, Devante, you know, obviously target magnet and Amari Rogers threatening the middle with Tunyon, I think is the way to go. So I'm, I'm, yep. I'm hundred percent with you. I think um, that makes the most sense by far. Like I think yeah. just throwing Alan Lazard out there is like, what is he adding? So like, why, why would a defense be more scared of that versus with MVS on the field? They shouldn't be. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, lastly, I think I'm going to be speaking right to you here. Uh, you know, because I saw you, uh, tweeted about Lamar Jackson and you feel like Lamar Jackson is going to return to to prominence because of Rashad Bateman. That's how good you think this kid is. And I know a lot of my listeners right now are leaning in closer, turning up the volume, and and getting ready to hear why that's true. So give them the red meat, bro. When you watch the Ravens last year, they could not throw the ball underneath or over the middle, and that's because it was Willie Sneed, who should be a backup slot, it was Des Bryant who shouldn't be in the NFL. And it was Miles Boykin who, for whatever reason, is super athletic but can't separate. So though that was his targets um, over the middle of the field. The passing game coordinator, who is now the head coach of the Texans, don't ask me how that happened, but he was in over his head. The passing offense looked all out of sorts. There was a lot of times where you would have receivers running the same route right next to each other. And Lamar Jackson would be looking and it'd be like three guys standing within five to 10 yards of each other. It made no sense. So I think this year uh, you're going to get Marquise Brown playing in a role that he belongs in, which is downfield only. I'm going to win downfield with speed. That's all I'm going to do. I was unimpressed with Marquise Brown as a route runner underneath. I don't think it's a good fit for him. I think he's been in the league long enough to not expect that. And then you bring in Rashad Bateman who, is lengthy, way bigger than Marquise Brown and like Willie Sneeds and those types. A awesome route runner, probably his best skill set, great hands, and he can win on the inside or on the outside. And a lot of his production was like 5 to 15 yards uh, past the line of scrimmage. So um, I think Rashad Bateman's an awesome prospect. He's already breaking a bunch of ankles in training camp. And I think that that was the missing ingredient last year for the, for the Ravens was they couldn't on third and seven – who are they throwing the ball to? Now you have your answer. It's a first-round guy in Rashad Bateman. I love this answer. You just made me feel really bad about wherever I faded Bateman by even a pick because <laughs> I'm sure I did this in a rookie draft, and I'm going to regret it because you're right. Bateman was the truth. He was the chalk, 
And, um, you know, we all got a little bit afraid of the offense, which I still am, by the way. But, you know, when you say it the way it is, it's true, man. He had absolute dog shit all around him. Lamar Jackson did, you know, in the passing game. You know, Marquise Brown was his best receiver, so to speak. And you're right. He's a lid lifter. Yep, that's it. And he's good at that. And Mark Andrews is a good tight end. He's nothing special. He was he's very good in terms of uh, scheme fit because you know he he's perfect for that play action game because he can block. Yep. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. You're right on the money. Um, I, and I'm I'm a I'm buying in on Lamar Jackson again too. I, I think he's probably not quite the passer that the numbers would have alluded to in 19, oh, yeah. but I don't think he's as bad as everybody thinks he is from that stupid thing where he's wearing a bucket hat at the pro bowl throwing off it. You know, people yeah. show that thing where he's missing targets. Like he, that that's nonsense. Uh, it, now granted that wasn't very good, but you know, he's better than that too. So, you know, yeah. the, the, the people are super down on him and super high on him. I think he's somewhere in between, but what they did do is they fixed that offensive line and they're going to absolutely be killing fools with uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins and running downhill. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Like, the the rushing offense is already probably the best in the NFL, if not the best, the second best. And I, I just think that Rashad Bateman just, like, really – I mean, it helps Marquise Brown win in his role. It's going to take a little bit of pressure off of Mark Andrews. He's not going to have three guys on top of him over the middle of the field. And you're not going to be starting Des Bryant. I'll even say – I mean, I'm notorious with my Sam, Sammy Watkins praise. Sammy Watkins as the wide yeah. receiver three, that's a big upgrade over the, the number it's threes. True. He's an explosive player, even though he's really inconsistent. At least he has a chance to rip off some big games in ways yeah. that Des Bryant and all those guys have. So yeah. the Ravens yes. added a lot to their offense. Their defense will be worse. They can't rush the passer uh, as well um, as they probably did in the last couple of seasons. And uh, they don't have that much depth at, like in the secondary. But... The offense should be back and really clicking. So, um, if you just took the average of 2019 and last year, you have a really high end fantasy quarterback, and that's what I'm projecting. And I think that Rash- there's a chance that Rashad Bateman leads the the Ravens in targets and receptions this year. Like that's, I think that's like how good of a prospect he is. I love that. I love it all. Great job. So we've got. We're, I, I look down at the time. I can't believe how 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 much we've been doing it. it, it I just lost track of time. You got to get going, but I got to do one thing. We'll do we'll do like a rapid fire. Perfect. I had these things on the show sheet. I think you and I are both excited to go over them because it's a lot of fun. So we'll just have some fun with it. Uh, we don't have too much time to get into it. Although I will tell you, you can stay as long as you want. The the, the losers and derelicts and crazy people listening to this show. We'll listen for hours and hours. I'll do it for hours and hours because I've got some personal problems of my own. But um, but here we go, right? So we're going to do a little this or that. It's a lot of fun. We'll go as quick as you want to go. If you want to add something to it, we will. But there's some spots where I'm kind of like, you know, if I had to, you know, whether it be in Dynasty, I, I'm not really talking Dynasty. I'm talking this year, right? So okay. in 2021, who you got, right? This is All a right. 2021 Who's going to score more damn fantasy points, right? We're going to start with Brandon Ayuk versus Debo Samuel. 2021, who you got? I just watched every Brandon Ayuk target from last year. He's so explosive. I, I'm going him. I think that he could be the X receiver. You look at like Shanahan's history with uh, X receivers. It's For me, it's comfortably Brandon Ayuk. I think that his explosiveness is awesome at all three levels of the field. And I think that... He kind of struggled versus man coverage at times, in my opinion. 
And if he was already that productive and he was pretty inconsistent in those areas, like a year two leap when he's better, like at, with his releases and like cleaning up some of that footwork stuff, it's on. So I, for me, it's Brandon Ayuk. I think it's comfor- comfortably Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate that take. Although I've been a little bit uh, shy on Brandon Ayuk versus consensus. I think a lot of people are are way all in, and I get it, man. He's a he was a very exciting player to watch last year. But uh, sleeping on Debo can be an issue. I one of my one of my issues with it probably is the the Trey Lance offense. I don't think they're going to be a Jimmy Garoppolo offense for very long, and yep. that Trey Lance offense is going to be probably a low volume passing attack with a lot of like you know rushes, right? You know RPOs. Yep. Even Trey Lance running the football, he ran for a thousand yards in his only collegiate season, um, and then that that kind of spells. Uh, you know, Debo Samuel getting three or four carries a game on those jet sweeps and things that he does because he's such a freaking monster. So if it's a low target volume offense, George Kittle is still alive and well, hopefully. Um, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know if there's enough targets to make Ayuk the player that we want him to be. In other words, I think he's that player. You know, put him in Kansas City or something, and I'm like, all right, dude, fucking A, yep. let's go. But I just wonder in that offense if it just suits Debo a little bit, which is why I asked the question. I know you love Ayuk, and I don't blame you. All right, next it, one. It, it's really tough just with best ball. Like, I want to stack the, the 49ers because, I mean, everyone out there, go look at the 49ers schedule weeks 14 through 17. Like, it's like the freaking Texans and, like, the Jaguars. Like, it's like nonsense <laughs> – and like I think that the 49ers could like take down Best Ball Mania too, just because the the schedule is that insane. But I'm kind of with you that it's tough because you're paying price tags as if the the 49ers are going to throw the ball a lot. Yes. But if Trey Lance is not that guy, like what do you do? So it's it's I think it's probably one of the biggest decision points in all of Best Ball this year because the upside is obvious. Yes. But how do they get there? If it's Trey Lance and how many games is Trey Lance going to play because he's super young, didn't play last year. Like there's a lot of moving parts um, and it's a very difficult projection. But like ultimately, I, I think I'm just settling on like, let's see if this thing goes to the moon and I'll, I'll just be a little bit higher on Ayuk specifically and maybe a little lower on Debo. Yeah, that's it. Like I said, it's totally fair and it's definitely where consensus is. So, you know, that was kind of an easy one. Here's another one. Uh, Amari Cooper versus CD Lamb. 2021 who you got Amari I don't feel great about it like CeeDee Lamb's a baller I don't feel great about that yeah um there's been some talk about Amari not being quite healthy yet and going through some secondary surgeries you know quote-unquote cleanups I've heard that that term before I don't like it at all I think CD's the alpha I I I want CD especially because oftentimes he's cheaper um you know he's an easier target to acquire um, you know, so if you can stack Dak and CD, I love that. Um, Amari is definitely mercurial at best, so I, I, I get it. That one's a tough one. The old, yeah. the old uh, two WR ones on the same team, which almost ended up as WR one and two with Winston uh, Godwin versus Evans for 2021. Who you got? I'm gonna go Mike Evans. I just think that he's slightly better. I, I, I love Chris Godwin, but uh, Mike Evans in the red zone is just undefeated and. Um, speaking of another team with an easy schedule down the stretch, the Buccaneers, like, like I'm not like breaking any news here, but stacking the bucks in best ball is a good (laughs) idea here. So, uh, Mike Evans plus Antonio Brown plus Tom Brady, like that's like, that can, that can win you a million dollars easily. 
that that's well said. By the way, what what's the running back there? We didn't touch that. Uh, you got any uh, ideas to what how that running back room shakes out? Geo on third downs, but I don't think that matters for fantasy. And I'm gonna go Ronald Jones. I think he's just better between the tackles than Leonard Fournette. Yeah, that's true. Well, he is. I think. <sighs> Are you sure it's not going to be Fournette in that passing game as he looks so good down the stretch with, with Tom? I don't know, man. I like when you start trusting Leonard Fournette, then all of a I sudden like, you got issues. You yeah, I, I think that Gio Bernard is like to me, he seems like a classic Brady guy, like a consistent third down guy. Um, but like I don't want to overhype Gio Bernard. Like it's gonna be very hard for Gio Bernard to like make a difference in box scores. Like people always mention James White with Tom Brady. Go look at those wide receivers on those James White years. Like it was right. really bad. Like there's yes. no any pass to Gio Bernard for the Bucks is a waste. Yeah, like, suboptimal. Throw the, throw the throw the ball to Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown, and Mike Evans. Like <laughs> yes. I just don't see like Gio Gronk, Bernard, OJ like, Howard. Right? Yeah, like I mean, they had to throw the ball to James White because it was like freaking Gunnar Orlovsky or like whatever that guy's name <laughs> yeah. is. That he was the wide receiver too that year. Like it's, that's right. Like, yeah. It gets pretty ugly there sometimes. Yeah. So here's a here's a, a trifecta: Juju, Claypool, or DJ. Claypool. Uh, for whatever reason, I've always been lower on Deontay, and that burned me really bad last year. I think that Chase Claypool is awesome. Uh, people say he can't get off press, and then he finished as like the wide receiver five in yards per route run versus man, and he's the best athlete by far. I thought he has the best pedigree as a player coming out of school and i think that his upside is awesome and there's some really weird stuff that we're going to keep track of for training camp that juju wants to play on the outside hmm. and if that's the case like is deontay going into the slot or is ray ray mcleod playing the slot and then either deontay johnson or chase claypool is coming off the field but like to me you can't go into any passing offense without chase claypool in it because he can win downfield. All of a sudden, you have Deontay, Ray Ray, McLeod, and Juju in. Like, uh, good luck. You're gonna throw six yard passes all all game long. So, I, I think that Chase Claypool has the highest uh, ceiling, and like they have to play him. Like, he just brings something that nobody else does. Yeah. If if Pittsburgh and Tomlin can't figure out how to play <laughs> Juju, Claypool, and DJ all at the same time at eleven yeah. personnel, and somehow fuck it up with some guy named Ray Ray McLeod, yeah, they deserve everything. They, yeah. I mean, honestly, they do have James Washington, but he should be the fourth wide receiver. Yeah. I right. mean, these three guys need to play and play a lot. What did I hear? I think it was the uh, the establish the run pod. It was uh, I think it was Evan Silva talking, and he was like. Or, I hope it was. Either way, it's always good to credit Evan Silva anyway. But um, they were talking about how they they preemptively sat Claypool because Tomlin said he believes yeah. in this uh, in the freshman wall or something like that. Yeah. I was like, I, was like I, didn't even, I didn't even notice that when it happened. I mean, he did fade down the stretch, but like, you know, that's the fucking dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's like, kind of stupid. Right? Not playing him because you think he's going to be bad? Like, why don't you wait till he sh- starts playing – poorly in any way shape form or fashion before he take his ass off the field as he was killing fools down the field again i do have problems with with ben so i you know some in some ways i think i'd rather get the guy who's closer to the line of scrimmage and you know and you know i don't know i for i me, think it's juju because he's cheapest but boy oh boy yeah no, that's a good point i yeah, I, I will say the one the one biggest concern i have for juju juju and deontay is they are so volume dependent in yes. ways that Chase Claypool isn't. Correct. And my biggest concern is I think the Steelers were passing out of necessity because they couldn't run the ball last year. 
And I don't think that the Steelers are going to be like great running the ball this year, but I think since they drafted Najee Harris, they're going to, they're going to run the ball. And I think that they were passing the short yardage passes and that's what they were calling their run game last yes. year. So that's like the worry is like, okay, if Deontay Johnson is getting point. 11 targets and he's still only averaging 7.8 yards per target, it's like hard for him to keep up. And Chase Claypool is going to get his regardless because he's just a monster that's in the a red great zone point. downfield. It's a great point. I love that take. That's a good take. It's true. They they substitute the running game, but they still don't have an offensive line that can block for the running game, so yeah. they didn't fix that. They would have been better off drafting two offensive linemen than Najee, but that's a whole nother podcast where you and I could just start. You know, yeah. Anyway, uh, here's a good one. And I, <laughs> DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett, 2021, fantasy points. Uh, I would project Metcalf. I think you can make an argument that Lockett's a better value in – um, best ball. I think I have a couple players ranked ahead of Metcalf, like a Justin Jefferson, um, that other people don't. Um, both are going to be ballers. Like they're it's yeah. like spiked weeks. They're both really good. Um, I, I think have, I think Lockett's a huge value right now. I think people are sleeping yeah. on him for sure. Like he's going to get a lot of targets. I mean, obviously yeah. he has to stay healthy, but that kind of goes as the asterisk on every single player we talk about. But if he does play 16, 17 games, I mean, Lockett's going to have a lot of targets. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's like that sweet spot where um, my whole philosophy with with uh, best ball drafts is I want four wide receivers by round seven every single time. And to do that, it's that round three to round seven range where like I'm basically only drafting wide receivers. And that's exactly where you get Tyler Lockett. So every time yeah, yeah I'm going to be drafting Tyler Lockett a ton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK, the, the newbie uh, Jamar Chase versus T Higgins. I love this one. If My I was gonna go, one. If I was going to go projection, it'd be Jamar Chase. Yes. I think you can make an argument that T. Higgins is a slightly better value. Um, I am worried that we're over-projecting the Bengals in general, especially with their passing offense. I think that with Joe Mixon back, they're going to run the ball a little bit more. They had an offensive line uh, coaching change that it actually makes a big difference. And I don't know. I just, I'm worried that like Joe, they're not going to ask Joe Burrow to drop back 50 times it, nine months removed from a torn ACL plus the Bengals aren't trying to go to the playoffs this year. They're trying to take this for the long haul. And I'm worried that uh, the Bengals are going to start the season out a little more balanced than we're used to. And then all of a sudden, like you've drafted three Bengals in the top 36 wide receivers. And like, they're kind of just like trading off weeks when they go off. But uh, T Higgins is a baller. Jamar Chase is a baller. Even Tyler Boyd in his role is a baller. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Boyd has the lowest ceiling and sort yeah. of is pigeonholed into what he is. I mean, he's a great little late-round value, especially in deeper leagues where you're going to play a deeper starting roster because where you're getting him, he's going to, you know, out, the floor is going to outscore some of the other, you know, uh, players you're getting at that at that spot. So I think he's a good play, but he's not going to – I mean, he just doesn't have a ceiling. It just doesn't exist. Um, yeah. But both Higgins and Chase both have huge ceilings. You know, we the aforementioned awful AJ Green saw 108 targets in that offense last year. I think Chase and Higgins have plenty of targets. It's going to be consolidated with those three. Yeah. Um, you know, there's no tight end of note, Uzoma or Sample. They're not going to be target monsters. So um, I think it's I think it's those three those three uh, wide receivers and and Mixon all the way. Uh, last one. This is like red meat. Last one, baby. DJ Chark or Lavisca Chenault. I would project Chark for more points. Of course. I 
I don't know what to do with LaVisca. I love LaVisca coming into school or coming out of school. Uh, I thought he was okay last year, like just like literally just okay. I think that if they're banking on him to be an outside receiver, I don't know. Like he didn't do that at Colorado. Like he was within 10, 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, an absolute baller, but he's never really been that like outside receiver. And like, is he better on the outside than Marvin Jones and DJ Chark? I don't know. Like he's a player I want to be higher on than like, I'm ultimately just like not that high on. Yeah. I mean, that scares me. It scares me. I know. I know. I, you know, LaVisca is getting so much love from every corner of the, you know, from the analysts, you know, uh, there's not an analyst who doesn't say, you know, when they're talking about who's going to break out, LaVisca, Chanel, everybody, it's the answer. And uh, it's kind of a fun answer to give. It's, uh, but, you know, and and it may be the correct answer. It, it, I guess the point was, is like, it's possible that LaVisca actually outscores DJ Chark. It's possible. That's why I asked the question. For sure. And I think that's more the story than which one would you choose? Yeah, of course you sort of project Chark to score more, and I'm with you, of course. He goes sooner. Yes, all that. But is it possible that we see LaVisca Chenault as the WR1 on that team? I think it's definitely in play. It's also in play that he's just, you know, a tertiary player, which is kind of weird. You know, it's like there's so much like riding on the LaVisca Chenault value in terms of dynasty, redraft, best ball everywhere. Like so many people are a little over invested, but if he hits the ceiling, that investment is going to be not a problem. Whereas if he doesn't, they're going to look back at like, shit, I took LaVisca there. What the fuck was I thinking? So it's kind of an interesting spot. I think he is a very uh, hinge point type of player. So um, yeah, I think ultimately I'm going to be lower on him than the market. And he's going to be like the guy that's just going to be like, well, I feel the least great about this. And like, yeah, the last thing I need is like uh, on Twitter on Sundays, everyone's pumping up these LaVisca yes. highlight tapes. And like, I'm like, yes. damn it. I like, Fuck, I love I this them. dude, but like, I couldn't do it because of the math said he, I couldn't do it. And like, I'm That's missing it. out on all the fun. So like, it's he's exactly the, how I feel. He's the, he's the FOMO ranking that I'm most nervous. About. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be so much fun when everybody else is celebrating. You are just sitting there going, I know. Yeah, I liked him too. I thought he was going to be good, but I don't have any, you know, I don't have any opportunities or shares of him. So, yeah. no, it's 100% right. Dude, you killed this pod, man. I mean, the people love it. I, I loved having you here. I mean, I I could go on all day. I say that with a lot of people, but this one, man, we were just flying through the through the through the show and and uh and and you just had the right answer every time, man. Uh, <laughs> we'll see know. about that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, that's the easy thing. It's it's June. Of course, you're right every one, man. That's right. That's why I did that on purpose. Um, but, um, uh, but tell the people where you're at, just kind of let them know where, what you're doing. Cause you're doing so much cool stuff and where they can find you on Twitter, et cetera. Uh, on Twitter at Hayden Winks, uh, Josh Norris and I do four episodes a week on the underdog football show. Find us on YouTube or on podcast. And if you want to try best ball, highly recommend, recommend doing it right now. We got plenty of drafts for anybody, any type of format, uh, rookies and sophomores, best ball mania Two. $3 drafts, you name it. So um, instead of waiting for your high school friends draft or only sticking with Dynasty, it's the easiest way to get some new shares. Um, try out a different, couple different strategies and do that at Underdog Fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. Underdog's a lot of fun. Hayden's great. And I'll tell you, I'm a big uh, Josh Norris fan. You know, I liked his pod um, previously. Um, and, you know, the pod you guys do together is really good. I, I listen and I like it. And uh, of course, Josh Norris famously 
the greatest mock drafter of all time. And he'll tell you about it. Am he's I right? Not, he's not shy about that. <laughs> he he absolutely nailed this 2021 draft. His mock is like the best rated mock of all time, if you hadn't heard the story. And uh, and and he's taking victory laps, and he deserves to. I would. He deserves to. I, I mean, mean, he got like 16 of like 32 yeah, player to team. Exactly. 16 to 32. Like that's like absurd. absurd. It's absurd. Yeah, and everything else was like missed by one. Like honestly, yeah. if I did that, you would never hear the end of it. It'd be unbelievable. I mean, I brag about shit I haven't even accomplished. So, I mean, yeah. clearly I would brag about that. So he deserves it. Uh, thanks again, man. I appreciate you, man. I had a great, great time. Yeah, same here. Appreciate it. Uh I'll, if you want to chat it up later in the offseason, I'm always down. I'm game, baby. I'll, I'll definitely have you on. You're re, you're going to be a returning champion for sure. Let's do it. On behalf of everybody at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody at the Undrafted, my producer, the great Michael Duncan, Hayden Winks, thank you so much. We out. We out.